can take your family to a place where dreams are born. Walt Disney World on Easter. The airline with more flights from more cities to Walt Disney World than any other airline. A dream is a wish your heart makes. Love. There's only one official airline at Walt Disney World, and that's Easter. The airline that's working harder for your dollar. The Wings of Man. It's going. We're going. We're going. Makes you just want to sing and dance. <laughs> Very merry. <laughs> Blake's choking on his beer. Uh, we had a, so we had like a little to get a little behind the uh, insider baseball with the audience. We had like a little snafu tonight. We're like, you know, we're, we're recording this at Blake's VH, mom's house. The VHS tape broke. Yeah, the VHS. <laughs> Blake Blake had a VHS copy of it, the movie we're doing tonight, and it broke. And we're like, crap, and we couldn't find it. We couldn't repair it. And then it was two because that's a collector's item. That thing's going for like sixty bucks on eBay. Damn. So uh, Disney clamshell. Yeah. Box. So like at one in the morning, we're trying to f- we, c- we we realized we couldn't fix the tape, and then we had to we, we went on all the line. We couldn't find it. It's we not streaming anymore. Our, we had to ride our bikes over your house. We had to ride all. <laughs> yeah, we had to ride our bikes, and it was cold this week. Get on our huffies. Yeah, we had to ride all. Yeah, um, I have a huffy. You have a um, what do you call it? A Kawasaki. <laughs> and we, we we rode all the way over there, and you know. Um, and then and then I got a flat tire, so I had to ride back on the on Blake's pe- on on pegs, pegs, yeah, <laughs> on his back, on his pegs. And we got there, and then we had to sneak into my parents' house, and my parents were not happy. You know, what are you doing here? And we're like, well, we couldn't, we couldn't. Blake's mom was sleeping, and we couldn't, so we had to get my DVD. And then it was in my sister's room, so we had to sneak into my sister's room while she was sleeping. It was it turned into its own movie. It was a whole I know. It yeah. was like an Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah, type exactly. Adventure. And we had to get back, and then we had to get the, and then like I said, I had a flat tire. We chained my bike up, and we I, we got on the back of your on the back of your pegs. But that we tried we tried on the front, but then you couldn't see. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're a little bigger than we used to be. Yeah. So and then so I went on the back, and then uh, yeah, I mean the, the the funny I remember you with the pegs. You try to like put like you know one guy in the front, one guy in the back, and then yeah, I mean, yeah. that would never really work. No, unless they're lighter than. Well, you. the pegs. Somebody standing in the back that works. That works. Even I used to do commonly the one with the, you know to have the guy sit on the, your seat, and then you just stand and pedal. Yeah, yeah. I, it was always suicide for me to sit on the handlebars because uh, many a time I, you know, the, the, we've stopped short. I would go flying, and the person who's driving the the bike, usually my friend, I keep mentioning Martin McHugh, would land on top of me. Yeah, you know, yeah. you go off the curb, and he wouldn't pull up. You know, because there's no uh, shocks for so. those cinephiles out there that like to venture back into the olden days of cinema. Yeah, the best handlebar <laughs> ride. <laughs> Since we're on the subject of it. <laughs> in history, yeah. is Sherlock Jr. Again, Buster Keaton oh, oh. on the motorcycle. I'm thinking of young Sherlock. Yes, Sherlock Jr. Yeah, Buster Keaton's that's phenomenal. He's, he's riding on the handlebars of a police motorcycle. Yeah. The policeman falls off when they go off a bump, and he's just riding <laughs> the handlebars by that, himself. That, and he actually had to learn how to do it. There are some shots where they 
add another wheel, like you can kind of stabilize. Yeah, you can yeah. kind of see it at certain angles. How do you learn? But for the most part, how do you learn a trick like that? It just it was Buster Keaton, man. He just did it and would fall off until he figured out how to balance. That's a shameless plug because you did a um, a couple weeks ago to a month ago. You did a podcast on yeah, Buster Keaton on the Wrong Real podcast. James and I talked about Buster Keaton and we talked about Sherlock Jr., which is my favorite. Of yeah, Buster yeah. Keaton's, uh, that's things. the beginning where he tries to kill himself, right? He, uh, no, that's uh, was that Hard Luck? Maybe? Oh, I thought that was Sherlock Jr. Where he goes into the house, he gets something happens, and he tries to kill himself, and then it goes into like the story or something. This is uh, oh. But uh, yeah, classic. So how the hell does he? How do you learn? I mean, that's it's. It, you always think about people who learn a, 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 you know, a talent for a movie or whatever. But then it's like, people, well, yeah, well, I don't you know come up with like, that. I don't know how like skateboarders and like yeah. there's people that do the, these kind of like, you know, Big, X Games. Like, yeah. how do you practice that shit yeah, without hurting yourself <laughs> the first time? But I mean, even back then, that was all new territory. That's someone like motorcycles had only been around. I mean, you had the motorized bicycle, but like in the twenties, a motorcycle had only been around for like twenty years or so. So he's yeah. like, I'm going to sit on the front of this. I'm going <laughs> to learn how to balance, balance it. it. And then at the same time, how is he? I'm I sure they the must have rigged it somehow. Yeah, because the throttle and stuff. Are, but he there has, are certain shots where, like I said, I think it's either being pulled and it has an extra wheel, like you know hidden from the camera. Yeah. But there are definite shots where he's just dri- he's driving it from on top and like they just rigged it somehow that it just went and he just sat on top. That's unbelievable. <laughs> that's just a testament to him, you know. We always talk about um he has a connection to kind of the history of this movie tonight, but uh it's a testament to those old guys that people think are largely forgotten now for whatever oh, yeah. reason. Keaton, you know, Harold Lloyd was great. Keaton's my favorite. Yeah, Keaton's one of my, Keaton's one of my cinematic heroes. I, mean, I don't even think people. I think Charlie Chaplin has fallen by the wayside for like younger audiences. Well, if there's people that are, you know, even now I don't think Jackie Chan is not as big as he was at one point. But uh, you know, for anybody that's a classic Jackie Chan fan. I mean, his hero was Buster Keaton and also Harold Lloyd. That's another... Uh, uh, Jackie Chan is another connection to this movie tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we keep making these unbeknownst connections. <laughs> we're getting a segue in the crap out of this yeah. movie. But wh- hey, first of all, we should probably let everyone know what they've downloaded. Because <laughs> if they don't know what they've downloaded, they've downloaded Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Movie Sleepovers. 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 <laughs> and you better watch out. It's a really, really late night, so we're probably delirious. We're very tired already because of this trek we had to take, you know, over two towns. <laughs> too old for this shit. Yeah, you know. <laughs> that's I heard that the entire way back, you know. <laughs> so yeah. pedaling away. You're on Route 5. <laughs> you know, we have, you on the back. Get yeah. too old for this, Dion. Then the cop, a this. cop pulled us over. A state trooper pulled us over because we didn't have any reflective gear on. And we're like, we didn't plan this. And well, they're like, your kids going out yeah. so late? Well, where are your helmets? And we're like, oh, wow. What's a helmet? Helmet. <laughs> helmet. What are you talking about? Wrecked him, damn near killed him. <laughs> the helmet. So, I mean, you think about all the Jesus. The, the falls I took on a, on a prior to like 14, 15. If I were to do that now, those those falls off bikes, I would kill them. I'd break everything in my body. You know, I, you, you wake up or you, 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 you stand up and you've, you've lost all the, the epidural layer of skin on your yeah, elbow yeah. or your knees. You know, and you're just like, fuck it. Don't worry. It'll stop bleeding at some point. <laughs> it'll grow back. You know, it'll be fine. Back in the days, where, you know, prior to cell phones, you didn't know where your kid was. Just, hey, uh, just be home by dinner time, you know? Yeah. Jesus. The good old days. The good old days. Uh, Once the streetlights come on. Come yeah. On. yeah when they have to get home <laughs> quick. And then, you, then if you're late, your parents won't even think it's something nefarious. It's just that yeah. you're being an asshole. Yeah. You know? What the fuck are you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. We're playing football. 
and uh, I don't, oh, I'm sorry. So, but um, yeah, the good old days. <coughs> but anyway, speaking of the good old days, we're doing a traveling uh, way back to the year of 1991. <laughs> it's a with a classic from Disney called Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. I don't think that's a lyric, but <laughs> that could be. Close enough. Yeah, we're doing Disney's Beauty and the Beast tonight. Um, in that renaissance period they had in the uh, early 90s, or late 80s, early 90s. Um, Look at this stuff. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, wait, that's, that's, the, wrong that's the wrong one. <laughs> that's the wrong movie. What, what is this? <laughs> I have plenty. I, it's so funny <laughs> to think that, like, me as a, a dude, that growing up, like I had the soundtrack. I had the, I had the Mer- I Little didn't Mermaid have this one. I had Little Mermaid on tape. Uh, I think we were the right age. I guess to dive right into it for their Renaissance when they. I mean, I prior to Little Mermaid, I was watching their stuff, but Little Mermaid came on the map, and then you had after that you had the Rescuers Down Under, and then you had Beauty and the Beast, and then you had Aladdin, and you had uh, maybe Lion King. Yeah, like those guys. Right, minus probably Rescuers Down Under, Little Mermaid. I had the soundtrack. I had the soundtrack to This Beauty and the Beast. I had the soundtrack to Aladdin. I had the soundtrack to Lion King. Uh, I might have even had the soundtrack to Hunchback of Notre Dame. I didn't really care mm. for Pocahontas. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, by that time, we were going off to college, you and I. So, like, yeah, I kind of yeah. fell out of it. But, oh, I mean, it's high school. And I'm, I'm singing. I have all this stuff, <laughs> you know. I mean, I know backwards and forward. I know. <laughs> I think I know the, um, the Little Mermaid soundtrack. I know this soundtrack. I know the Aladdin soundtrack. I know the Aladdin soundtrack a lot, pretty, pretty well. Yeah, Lion King. I'm, I'm, I know the villain song really good. That was the one I really liked. I always was big into the villain song. So like, uh, I was in Elton John at the time. So I did have. I think I had the Lion Circle song. Life. Circle <laughs> Life. <laughs> well, the, what's uh, there's the other one. There's like the love song. Uh, not a Kuda Matata. Not a no. Matata. Uh, believe no. I don't remember. Can you feel, feel the love tonight? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, that's, li- that's, that's Elton, though. Yeah, well, I was a fan oh, of Elton John. Oh, I think I mean, there's another song. That was Kings well, and Vagabonds. <laughs> <laughs> we could just do the whole thing. You know, <laughs> Today we're singing Keith and Blake's. All right. Sing Disney hits. My poor sweet <laughs> child. <laughs> that's what I do, what I live for. Fat out, fat Flash some jacks and now I've got a boys. The boss is on a roll. Jazz hands. This poor unfortunate soul. Good night, everybody. We'll be right back. Well, we really got him tonight, Blake. It's a special musical episode. Yeah, this is, the, this is the musical edition. We really went for it. I'm sure we'd get a cease and desist or <laughs> We got, like, karaoke versions. We actually did an episode where we sat here and sang. Uh, can you guys take that down, please? That's <laughs> so funny. Um, bonjour, bonjour. There goes the baker, like, like, like always. We're a little loopy. But, uh, so... Yeah, so yeah, Little Mermaid was I think was the perfect eighty nine. We were the perfect age for that. Yeah. I think. Uh, I mean, you know, I think we were. I think people younger than us would also have been good age for that, but I think we were just on the cusp of that being like the right time. Because yeah. um, I remember that. I still like that one. Yeah, it's um, great. I have somehow. A f- I was never as much of a Disney kid. Yeah. As as you were growing up. So. And it's funny that I think. To, to think we, we've unconsciously, I have to say, because I don't think we're doing it consciously, but we've covered quite a few Disney movies already on this Sleepover cast. This is the first animated, but we've done The Black Hole, live yeah. action. 
We did uh, the Flight of the Navigator. Yeah. We did Dick Tracy, which is under the Disney hat, but wasn't Disney's. We did Rocketeer, oh, which yeah. is also not under the Disney hat officially, but it's, you know. And then I feel like we have one more in there, too, somewhere. Uh, but, uh, and, and I mean, I mean, you could kind of say that. Ernest saves Christmas because he had a four picture deal with, and they use a lot of the like you know the Disney area. Yeah, yeah. So those first four uh, Ernest movies were Disney, but this is the first animated. So we this is, it's giving a run for its money to like the other action and the, <laughs> the other genres. Well, I mean, you know, it's a show about nostalgia. Yeah, and for the most part, looking back at our childhoods and our nostalgia, kind of like reliving these movies because our lives are so shitty right now we <laughs> want to just remember the good times. uh yeah so it's not surprising that i think disney is a, a very important part of everybody's childhood since it started yeah at some point in and your I, childhood and i think you know it's funny because this is something that we'll get into later but i think that was my that was a revelation that i had when you and i were in california and oh, that's we, yeah. And we went to like the Disney studio and there was like this and we were with a bunch of other people that were some of them really die hard. Yeah. And there was like this. That's when I had this revelation like, oh, my God, like Disney has been a pivotal part, a pivotal part of everybody's childhood. Everybody that's like a lot still alive. Yeah. <laughs> you know that how you can't really say that about a lot of things. No, we all have. No, <laughs> that and. You know, not so much anymore, but for the longest time, like the Looney Tunes were kind of yeah. the same thing. But, you know, it just wasn't managed the same way. Like Looney Tunes were. Yeah, yeah. I think if you had a guy like a Walt Disney, like if Jack Warner took up that role and did it until the 70s or so, you might still have that legacy because they put out like Space Jam and Looney Tunes back in action, yeah, which yeah. was actually quite, kind of funny. Um, but you don't have they're not putting like. You know, Disney long ago put that guarantee out where they put they make. Well, two, they were never really years. a feature. Their success wasn't features. War, e- yeah, 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 ever, you yeah. Know. And they, Disney made that segue early on. So, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's revol- it was revolutionary. It was yeah, Snow yeah. White. I mean, they changed kind of cinema forever yeah. <laughs> with that movie. And at that time, nobody. Everybody was like, a feature-length cartoon? That's yeah, crazy. That's, that's poppycock. Pop. <laughs> <laughs> another, another, another one, waiter. <laughs> Nobody's going to sit through that crap for two hours, yeah, an hour yeah. and a half. Yeah, how are you going to be able to? Because that was never done. When yeah. you get, we'll get into that, but it's all that. It was You were really breaking the, the boundaries where now it's kind of commonplace, but people didn't look at animation like that. They didn't but think like you can do that. Almost every person... Almost around the world, I, w- I would imagine. Oh, it's and, been know, touched with Disney. Has had, like, probably, I, the, I would imagine the vast majority of the people around the world have had a, uh, you know, Disney was a part of their childhood in yeah. some way. Um, not, you know, there's, I think there's... Levels you know, of... Yeah, there's levels of yeah, it. Yeah. You know, like I, like I said, you... I think you were much more of a Disney kid than I was growing up, but that, but still, I mean, it was you know as important growing well, up as there. a lot of other things. You for know, me. I mean, it was there because we'll get into the history a, a little bit of the the Disney arc. But I get when we were little, they had a lot of things going where they were they had the animated movies that were kind of like you know not doing as well, but they had another business where they were making 
live action films that were very popular yeah. as well as they had like almost like a farm team kind of a bunch of guys doing Sunday night movies so you had these weekly TV movies that were coming out which was hugely powerful like the Disney Sunday night movie the Sunday night Disney show you know, yeah. and then you had the other movies that, like, with Touchstone, yeah, they did like Splash, and they did like, sure. you know, Honey, I Shrunk the but Kids. Then, and then at some point they had the the Disney the Renaissance Disney the Disney yeah in the in the in the, the mid to late eighties with uh you know those Ducktales and Gummy Bears gummy and yeah. Tailspin. It's just we're just like allowing <laughs> the <guys>. hits. Yeah, <laughs> to welcome, welcome back. All right, we're here all week. Yeah. Gummy Bear. The Late Show. Second yeah. set. <laughs> We're like, woohoo, rescue Rangers. There'll be danger. L- looks to find you. There's a stranger out to find you. But grab onto some ducktails. Woohoo. Da 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 da. But uh, they were, yeah, so at, at, at every facet. And then they had the. They, I think they were the one of the first people, or maybe the first people, to get the idea of. Uh, Merchandising, mark, 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 marketization. That's not, not a word. The it's word now. Yeah, it's a word now. Hashtag marketization. <laughs> marketization. Marketization. Because <laughs> um, very early on, they were. That's how one of the the source of income for Walt was to, to, to merchandising. Yeah. So we had all that as a kid because you know we lived in a merchandising you know. Oh uh, yeah. World. Well, I mean, there was Disney World. I mean, there was a lot. There was everything. All the parks and the and then you know the yeah. So everywhere you turned, you had you know. And, you, and we've talked about some of this during the Flight of the Navigator. Yeah. Cast. Yeah, yeah. Um, we got into kind of the Renaissance, the Renaissance area there, and I guess we'll, we'll we'll skim all over all that here to set the table of where we are tonight. But I guess, the, the, and then out of that Renaissance, people seem to look at Beauty and the Beast as being like the the the. The, the sum of all their talents up until Lion King, the but creme then de la creme. yeah, but I mean, you put those up there, uh, Little Mermaid, Lion King, this movie, and Aladdin. Those are some great, great movies. Yeah, you know, I mean, and it also is a great example of the diversification they had of storytelling, where this is like a a proper like uh, fairy tale going back to like the 1600s. You have Aladdin being like you know a nice you know uh, Far East kind of a tale, and you yeah. have Little Mermaid's like you know an under the sea kind of. Um, wasn't the th- isn't I mean the Aladdin is based on another story. Wasn't the Thief from Baghdad? Isn't yeah, like it's, it's, pr- it's probably one of those the, you know, one of those many. I have a, a really nice book at home where it's like a lot of those like Arabian Nights. It's probably off of one of those Arabian <laughs> <laughs> Nights, like Arabian <laughs> moons. It's hotter than hot. Hot of good hot. I remember having that tape, and that was controversial at the time. I saw that. Uh, maybe we'll get to Aladdin one year. But I remember going to see Aladdin. It came out Thanksgiving in like '93 or four, and we saw it. At, we went. We had Thanksgiving uh, lunch, and then we went out to the movies. The family, and I remember sitting like it was a packed theater. And be, in front of us, I grew up in the New Haven area. There was like some academics from Yale. You could tell they were like college kids. And I remember them laughing their heads off through the movie. And, like, the part when they're on the magic carpet ride and they bump to, into the guy who knocks the nose off the Sphinx. Yeah, yeah. They were over the moon with that. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> that's how it happened. Like, they were, it was, like, hitting yeah, them in all yeah, the right yeah. places. But anyway, I remember it being controversial because at the beginning of that, um, Robin Williams plays, like, the street vendor who tells you the story of the lamp. And he yeah, says, yeah. like, they'll cut off your ear. I forget the line. Uh, it's, it's barbaric. But, hey, it's home. And they thought it was too... Like, you can't be saying that in a children's thing. So if you had the tape, 
the tape has that version, but then they re-recorded that line, so it's like, uh, I forget what he replaces it with. And then I think on the home video version and then on the CD, that's gone. I see. You know, where they cut that line out where, like, you know, they'll cut off your head. It's my bed, but hey, it's Arabian Nights. You know, so I was like, yeah, hey, who cares? I mean, look at this movie. I forgot, like, right in the beginning, you see, like, Gaston shoots a freaking <laughs> goose. You know what I mean? <laughs> shoots a goose dead, and, you know, there's yeah, only, yeah. And this is this is pretty dark, this movie. I will say for me, <clears throat> uh, Mer- Little Mermaid, I saw. I think I saw it at the movies, had the tape. I was into that one. And then somehow this one slipped by me. I, yeah. And I didn't discover Aladdin, I think, until after. Oh, really? And I was like, I mean, Aladdin was at least, uh, how many years do you think Aladdin was after? Aladdin was, for, was, was, um, uh, was eighth grade for us. Or, or, oh, yeah. So. Well, then maybe I was later in age because yeah. guess, it was still new. I didn't see it at the movies. But I really, to this day, Aladdin is probably my favorite one out of, of that, those of that, that era, era yeah. because it's just like i think even as an adult it's the most watchable like oh, it's yeah. the most entertaining yeah just uh and uh little mermaid i haven't seen that in a long time but i think that one i would enjoy for nostalgic reasons um aside that aside from i would imagine that it's still pretty great to watch it but i, I think i have more nostalgia for it this one somehow slipped through the cracks if i saw it on video in like ninety one, ninety two, when it came out, yeah, I don't recall it. I remember it being a big deal because it was the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture at yeah. the Academy Awards. So I remember it being a really big deal. Um, if I saw it then, I have no real recollection of it. So I didn't. My first recollection of actually experiencing this movie is in 2002 when it played at the IMAX. And that was that like special release where they had the deleted song in it. I think. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and they did maybe 3D? I don't know if that one was in 3D. That might have been later. Yeah. But uh, I remember they added the other song and I went, I don't know if viewer came with us, but it was, we went to the Palisades Mall. I don't know if I... If and I, saw it. was 2002, so it was post-college, so maybe you weren't around. Yeah. Then. Because they have an IMAX theater. But I went with a couple of people, and we saw that, and that was my my first real experience. So I don't really have any kind of childhood nostalgia for this one. Yeah. Um, Like I do the others. I will say for me, watching it this time, I think, and this could just be a nostalgic thing, but I feel like the music, the songs aren't as good. Oh, really? As like Little Mermaid. Yeah. At Aladdin. But I also just kind of like those movies. So like I said, it might just be like this nostalgic bias. Yeah. But I feel like the songs, There's a, not to say that these are not good songs, but I feel like the songs in those other ones are, are really like great. Yeah, yeah. And this one has a couple of really good songs. But overall, uh, that was kind of a, my takeaway <laughs> while watching it this time. I was like, these songs are okay, but they're not as good. I just don't think they're quite as good as those other ones. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's funny because this one was, this wasn't, this movie was the bee's knees when it came out. Yeah, I, I saw this in seventh grade. They took us to see this. And I remember the big thing, like when it came out, was that it was going to be using some sort of new computer technology. Yeah. And I remember like sitting in the theater with everybody and then the opening shot of like um, them going through the woods and you see the castle in the foreground and all the, the stuff like all the elements of the scene yeah. going by you in that 3d kind of fashion like blew us away we're like wow you can really see the difference that was i guess they did with rescuers down under but you yeah, know it was, but nobody saw that yeah one. no one yeah, yeah yeah i mean i saw that like on video when it came out and it was cool but it kind of 
came and went. I don't think I've ever seen that. It's pretty good. I mean, George C. Scott's in the, the, is the bad guy in it. It takes place in Australia. It's fun. John Candy's in it, a bunch of people. It's just a sequel to The Rescuers. But then again, that was in that, that time when people weren't, when the original Rescuers came out, they were kind of sagging Disney, you know? Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's really interesting for them to think of like, let's do a sequel to The Rescuers, you know? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. you think they would have maybe done, did like a Dalmatian sequel or something like a little, like a, or a Jungle Book. I mean, they ended up doing a Jungle Book, maybe even a Dalmatians, but... I guess that was in feature length, uh, feature uh, live action form. The, the, yeah. The well, they might have Dalmatian done them as single. like straight to video. Yeah. Because then that was also around the time in the 90s they started that like straight to video sequel. Yeah. Market. This, this has one. Yeah. And so does Aladdin. Uh, what is that? The, I think it's like King Jafar or something. King of Jafar or something. And uh, so, yeah. And then, then I think I maybe saw it again in the theater. And then it was a big deal, you know, at, during that time it coming out and being nominated. And then, uh, you know, and then. Them like two years later having Aladdin, you know, so everyone's on the train, and I, that's my second time I went to Disney was when Aladdin was out, so that was huge. So like the parade in MGM Studios was the Aladdin parade, yeah. you know. So it was, it was all very, you know, it was like it was like a perfect storm. Everything was just right back then, and and it, it seemed fun, and it's just it's it's so odd that these are just so like seared into our memory. And what I've always liked about, especially these movies of this time is like the villain for me i've always been a villains guy and i always liked the strong villains like in little mermaid you know ursula and i love her song that's interesting because this one doesn't have a villain in the same sense no i mean as little mermaid or aladdin yeah or even lion king or even lion king scar i mean obviously there is an antagonist yeah but not in the same the the Gaston, I guess, is the is the yeah is the villain, but he's not a villain in the same kind of way. Type. Or, yeah, he's yeah. not like an evil. He's just like a suitor who's jaded and you know wants to take his revenge and is kind of like a, yeah. A prick. So like the conflict comes yeah. from other places for the most part. Yeah, until, like the finale. And um, I've always dug those songs. So I've always that was always my first appeal. Like that's why I liked Hunchback because I liked the. Um, What's his name? Frollo. He has a really cool song in it. And then Froyo. Yeah, Froyo. <laughs> uh, the great Tony J, who's who makes an appearance in this movie. And then um, I never was in the Pocahontas. And then when I saw um, Milan, that that didn't. I don't think I've seen Pocahontas. I don't think I saw Milan. I, ne- I've, I, I don't s- think I saw Hunchback. I think after. I don't think I've seen one since. I think Lion you saw King. Hunchback because I remember you 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 slept over a girl's house and you borrowed my Hunchback. In college, <laughs> how dirty yeah, is that? I got Mario a hunchback. Yeah. Sleep at old girl's house. She wants to watch a whole Disney movie, so give me the hunchback. <laughs> Maybe we didn't get to it. Oh, yeah. oh, little do we know. How how was the movie? I don't know. We didn't watch it. <laughs> oh, uh, when that was the thing, like I saw Milan in the theater, and I've never seen it since because the bad guy is just—he's an awesome bad guy, but he's not really like yeah. kind of fleshed out. So that's what I love. Scar, Jeremy Irons, and Lion King. You, see, you, know, you, you know his motivations. Uh, Ursula and Little Mermaid, and Gaston to a certain extent here. Jafar and Aladdin. Like you know, yeah. they have these clear motivations. They have a song. They want to let you know. And it, and it, I guess it goes back to that Broadway kind of a style. Like because the the two guys, Alan Menken and um, what's his face, uh, Howard um, Ashman, who did the lyrics and the ri- songwriting. Yeah, is that like they brought that Broadway style to to. to well, it certainly sounds like contemporary Broadway yeah. music. I mean, I think, you know, in, in my opinion, that's almost the fault of Broadway for being stuck in this kind of loop of similar sounding music. Yeah, over and over. When it's just a shame because it's kind of. Uh, 
you know, like I said, it's just kind of stalled. Uh, I haven't been to a Broadway musical in a long time, but that was one of the reasons why. Um, and, and it's a perfectly fine style of music, but it seems well, like in a day and age when you can really push the envelope. I guess they are doing it to a certain extent with like Hamilton and stuff like that. Yeah, you it's know? still, but it's still... It's, it's a not, formula. It's not that different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as much as everybody wants to pretend it's that different, it's, yeah. it's not that different. I mean, this, this they say this was kind of conceived with the idea of eventually taking it to Broadway, I guess. The Little oh, the little Mermaid. The Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. But then, um, and this was the, I guess this was the but play was the that they put one, out. Right? Yeah, that was like, that, that did gangbusters. Yeah. And it also helped in the Giuliani era of New York City, kind of also helped Disneyify the Times Square. Yeah. Because you had this. Uh, in the Palace Theater on Forty Seventh and Seventh, say is a bad negative. thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It kind of cleaned I out. I remember it was a big deal. Yeah, uh, I mean, it ran until like two thousand we six or yeah, seven or I eight. Mean, we were here, you know. Yeah. And uh, then they did like an Aladdin. They did a well, Little Aladdin Mermaid. Is now Aladdin came. And I don't think they did Aladdin originally. Aladdin. No, no, that's all within the last year or two. Yeah, and then Little Mermaid Still was like the past for all time. Four or five years. Maybe and, six. And Lion King's still going. Is it? Yeah. Because that was I the one after so. this. And that was that was another weird... Because that's another... Unless if it closed, it closed like within the last year. And two. that was very like avant-garde. or It was a really interesting way to, to try to yeah. approach it by using stick figures. And, you know, because how yeah, are you going to have animals? Pup, kind of, you know, very cool puppetry. They had the idea costumes. of using Zig, Zigfried and Roy, but then <laughs> that quickly went out the window after the first performance. After Roy. Yeah. After that happened. After the uh, dress rehearsal. So, um... But this is, a, yeah, this was a big movie, and it's certainly for me, uh, I love all these movies of this era, but for some reason this stands out, maybe because, I don't know, I had the soundtrack, so I always listened to them all and all that kind of thing. And I'm not really a musical kind of guy. I think you were more into musicals as I, than I was kind of yeah. growing up, and then I've gotten into musicals later in life now, being like married and stuff like that, and I love them to death, but these were the movies I kind of looked at that I would watch. I never really watched proper MGM musicals. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I didn't... Uh, I guess for me it was Singing in the Rain. We had not a full, like, LP, but we had this a box of singles. You 45s. And me? My, my mom's oh, house. I was like, I was like me, me and you, Ed. <laughs> no, no, my mom. Yeah. Uh, like, songs from Singing in the Rain. And... Uh, I don't know. Really early fond memories was like put were, were of putting singing in the rain on the record player and like dancing with my mom in the living room. So singing in the rain always had a fondness for me. And then <clears throat> I, I did go through a big Gene Kelly phase where, and I still am. I mean, if I had a man crush, it would be Gene Kelly. <laughs> I mean, the stuff that that guy like that uh, would do him and like a Fred Astaire. It's amazing. It's it's almost like. Yeah, I mean, in a different kind of context, yeah. but the Buster Keaton, it's like you're a, there's stuff that he does that looks like even Fred Astaire, like when he's running around the room, it's like, it looks yeah, effortless. Yeah. And it's like, no, that shit is in singing in the rain where he's, uh, that whole scene with the other guy when the roses go there, is it when he's running through the window and poses. Yeah. 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 You know, and then, or even good morning when they're like on the couch and they have the couch come down. I mean, all yeah, that stuff I mean, is it's, it's astonishing stuff. And then I, I don't know. I've always liked West side story and Greece and, so, yeah, I mean, I've been a fan of a lot of musicals, you know, more than I say most people are. I wouldn't say that I'm a, like a musical lover as a, you know, in general, but I have, have fondness for musicals. And maybe that's part of why I like 
you know, I liked Little Mermaid and and stuff. Even the old ones, I don't remember really having a huge fondness for the old Disney movies. See, I remember. I remember watching them on. They were play, They would play them on TV. Yeah. Like now, back to <laughs> Pinocchio on you know the CBS movie. Yeah. yeah. Or the, or maybe ABC Disney. Yeah, I, mean, I guess maybe yeah. it was ABC most likely. And then uh, and then going to see some of the reissues in the theaters. I remember we went to see Snow White at some point when it was reissued in the eighties. A uh, very early memory for me is Bambi in the theater. See, this is I had the I saw the reissues as well, and I've never I've only seen Bambi once at the reissue when I was little, so yeah, I've never yeah. seen that one to this day. I remember seeing Snow White and maybe Cinderella in reissue, and then new release I saw Oliver and Company in the theater. And then uh, I missed the like the the Fox and the Hound I've never seen, the Black Cauldron I've never seen all the way through, yeah. those ones, the Rescuers, like a lot of those seventies ones, the Aristocats. I've missed out on a lot of them. I was then I think because of the reissues they started putting them on. I think Pinocchio was the first one they put on video as a tester, and that did really well. So yeah. they started reissuing, and they had this genius thing with with their marketing was they'd put it out for a little while. And then they take it away and put it back into the vault. You only have a one day left <laughs> to get this fucker, and we're gonna—it's gonna be back yeah. in the vault forever. And then you know people would be like, "Oh, I gotta go get it." You know, so I think when they would come out in clamshell VS, VHS form, I got Lady in the Tramp, we got Pinocchio, and we might maybe got One Hundred One Dalmatians. And I watched the crap out of like Lady in the Tramp. Yeah, like I know Lady in the Tramp very well, and the Peggy Lee stuff in there. You know. A lot of those that were that were issued on VH, VHS at the time, you know. But it took a while. I mean, they they didn't end up putting like Snow White out until like the '90s, I think. They were very selective on which titles yeah. they wanted to re re release in that format. And then when you're getting them too, it's only like I don't think they were doing any kind of like uh, restoration. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you it's it's a it's astounding to me to think, even like watching this DVD tonight. The Blu-ray doesn't look amazing to me. I I feel like maybe it's the TV. It could look better than it should. Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it's like a, a lot of times I can't imagine, you know, how great it, say, Snow White looked in 38. And then you trying to watch it like in a revival, like in the 80s. And, you know, it's, you, you, at most they're maybe making yeah. new prints. They're not like doing any kind of like touch up or color correction. So they're all poly, like, you know, it's all blurry. You know, it's not. Yeah, there's not real good definition of of lines, especially sure. for art. You know, I remember Fantasia being big. Remember when Fan did that? I big? remember seeing a reissue of that at some point, and then they reissued it again when I worked at the movie theater. Is that the one with the extra footage? They, they added like a Gershwin, yeah, uh, Rhapsody in Blue, I think, number to it. Yeah, I think I saw. It. Actually, that one might have been like all new stuff except for the Sur- Sources Apprentice. Oh yeah, yeah. Tagged onto it. I don't remember. I, I can't remember. Yeah. That might have been it, though. It might have been like Fantasia too. Yeah, we'll yeah, throw yeah, in the, yeah, we'll throw in the best one <laughs> for all you people who are pissed off and <laughs> bitter about us doing this. Um, I will say the one that I saw within recent years, and I think I had seen it just before we watched, just before we did the Flight of the Navigator one, when we started talking about the stuff. I had never seen it before. Was Sleeping Beauty, and man, that one is gorgeous yeah and that kind of that's the end of an era too um where they got into right after that doing with i think 101 dalmatians they do lady in the tramp which is cinemascope and then with a 101 dalmatians they started using the new technology of um xerox yeah xerography or something and that kind of i think is the reason when because you know you think of how many dalmatians they needed they didn't want to have they want to try to duplicate it for use that method for the artists 
but then you get into that era which I can only really describe as like it's like not as clean. Yeah. You know, like in the sixties, like the like the artistry yeah. doesn't it look it doesn't look like the um the cleanup artists were really doing their job fully, sure. you know. I was more fresh on it when we talked about it uh, during the Flight and Navigator cast, but they had somebody new did like the backgrounds. Yeah. And so it has this really cool stylistic look to it that's atypical. Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, yeah. Yeah. So it's very it's gorgeous. I mean, there was. They based it on, uh, I forget who they based it on, like some paintings or something. And it was almost to the point where they had to like pull back a little bit because they didn't want people to get too wrapped up in the. Yeah. In the uh, the backgrounds of it, you know, and even uh, here in the last shot of this movie, Beauty and the Beast, when they're dancing with the and you see them pull back, that's actually <clears throat> animation originally from Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, and they had to just animate over it uh, the Beast and uh, Belle. Yeah, the dance because they were running out of time. Because what happened was they usually have four years a time to make these movies, but this movie because of cockups, they only had two. So they were like under the gun. So I guess near the end there, they were kind of running out of time Scrambling. to do stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess we could start at the, at, at back in the day. Start at the beginning. Yeah, way back in the beginning. We have this guy named Walt Disney. And, uh, you know, he's from, uh, he's from the Missouri area. And he uh, settles in Kansas City. And he, goes to, he becomes an artist, goes to school, goes to World War I. He's an ambulance driver in the war. Gets out and he uh, starts this cartoonist company, and there he gets some work in Kansas City doing like these things called laughograms and other little things they used to sell to the local theaters. And then he got onto this thing of trying to do this this thing called an Alice cartoon. And the Alice cartoon was where he'd take a little girl uh, live action and he'd he try to add elements of cartoon to this. And he. Um, tries to get funding for the Alice cartoon and that falls through so he gets kind of disgruntled he puts all his uh, animation stuff away he moves to Hollywood and he tries to get a job being a director in Hollywood and all he's able to really get Walt is, a, is an extra in a Calvary film so his brother Roy says why don't you just try to do animating again in freaking Hollywood you know maybe you can do that there so he goes to a distributor and he takes out his unfinished work which was the Alice film uh, and he tries to get um, backing to finish it and he gets the money the distributor loves it, and he ends up making like 56 of these Alice shorts uh, and they're, until the popularity kind of waned of that. But then you have Carl L- uh, Lamel. I can never say his name right, uh, from uh, Universal yeah. Pictures at the time. He says to uh, Disney, he said, I'd be interested in seeing like a cartoon rabbit do something. So they come up with this thing called Oscar the Lucky <laughs> Rabbit. Yeah, that's his. Like, I was, I was had a thing for rabbits. <laughs> so Lamel's like, <laughs> l- 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 uh, he's like, well, you know, uh, I didn't care for the Alice movies, but uh, if you can make me a cartoon rabbit. So they come up with this guy, uh, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and they, they premiere a, a movie uh, a year a short later called Poor Papa in 1927. And at that time, Walt's refusing to cut costs. He doesn't do like what the guys in New York do by, like, say, using cycles where you take the background and you just loop the background of the characters. You know, he, he didn't want to do stuff like that to save on production time. He was really, he, he had high standards. And the reviews were great. Uh, they were getting, on the West Coast, the, his animators were getting kind of like talked up that they were giving the guys in New York a run for their money. And they were putting like a new short out every two weeks. And uh, Walt went to New York to try to up the money for these Oswald cartoons because he was getting from his distributor uh, 1800 per short and he wanted 25, uh, 2500 and the distributor said, no, we're going to, you know, you either take the 1800 to leave and you got to remember that you don't own 
uh, Oswald. We own him, Universal. So fuck you and fuck that you and you know, the horse you rode in on. So Walt's like, shit. He's right. You know, I don't. This isn't my my property. You know, mm-hmm. I, I sold away the copyright. So he decides he'll never do that again. So what he ends up doing is he he wants to devise his own character that he can um kind of have his own you know to, so that he can exploit it and he was thinking about doing a cat and but no there was a crazy cat thing at the time they couldn't do that so they're like let's come up with a mouse so uh they they, they come up with mickey and they they want to make him look simple so they so they you know he's easy to animate so that's why he's like circles and stuff like that mm-hmm. and is they were gonna waltz ideas and to, to um to name him mortimer <laughs> and his wife's like no why don't we call and they they come up with the name mickey they they they're able to do 700 uh, feet a week for these uh, for these shorts, you know, uh, what they're able to put out. So every two weeks they're able to put out a short now because yeah. of how easy they're able to do Mickey. So what they end up doing is they, they capitalize on Charles Lindbergh at the time because well, we have he, to have a little footnote for Abai Works. Oh yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to say Abai. One, yeah. one of my heroes. Yeah, Abai Works sure. is there, and he's the one who actually comes up with the, how Mickey looks, and he's able to. There's a guy at the time, Bill Nolan, who's recorded doing uh, 600 drawings. A week for uh, Crazy Cat, Eb beats him and does seven hundred a week, yeah. because how you know he's able to just rattle off these these things. And Eb is also one of the with Walt creates like the whole you know early area of it all, and then they have a split, and then Eb ends up coming back later on as a technical guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eb was a he was an animator. You know, he's the guy. You know, Walt took all the credit for for Mickey, but Eb was the guy that originally drew him, and so. If you're going by, like, comic book creative, you know, you have, like, Stan Lee, who kind of came up with the character, but then you have Steve Ditko, who kind of drew the first version of the character, so they share creative credit. Uh, Ab Iwerks is kind of that co-creator of Mickey Mouse, and he was a bit of a technical genius, because he came back to Disney as a technical guy and created that machine that you and I had the privilege of seeing one of, the like, two or three... Yeah. The ones that which hit. we have pictures of we should include that if we can find yeah. them yeah which is the idea of being able to create depth of field in a flat animation which is by separating the background from the foreground or layers of the background on plates and then filming through them by separating the distance of them when you film them you can put some stuff in focus and out of focus like you would three-dimensional imagery which had never really been done before because animation is a flat, yeah. two-dimensional thing. But iBuyWorks kind of created this... Mich- this Multi- it's called this a multi-plane bit. camera. And that was kind of... Ub was a genius in his own way, you know. And, and that's... Uh, changed anim- I mean, he, he was as big of a contributor to just the art form of animation as anybody, you know, throughout history. I mean, a real pioneer. And he's the one that I think uh, Walt... Uh, bring you know has him come from Kansas City he's like you know you can come over here and make this with me and that thing is 14 feet high and that's actually kind of what ends up being the it's the same principle that they do in Beauty and the Beast with the computer technology mm-hmm. you know they just they were able to do that all um, that that technology yeah. computer or um, now there's like two of those things I forget what they said when we saw it there's, that are still in existence yeah yeah there's like there's only a handful of like two or three yeah and I and I've seen two were you so because you and I saw one yeah. at Disney Studio when we went to Disney Studio. And then when I went to San Francisco, for anybody that's into the Walt, like Walt Disney and learning about Walt Disney, in San Francisco, there's the Walt Disney Family Museum. Wow. And when we went to the Ronald Reagan 
library. Yeah, they had an exhibit. And they had, they had an exhibit. All that stuff was from, was on borrow from the Walt oh. Disney Family Museum. And in the gift shop of the Walt Disney Family Museum, they have, like, the other one. Maybe it's downstairs, and when you're in the gift shop, you can look over the railing and look through it. Holy crap. At pieces of, of, of plates of, yeah. of stuff so you can see what it looks like. Yeah, for, you know, from the top angle, because like you said, it's a really, it's very it's tall. And then what you do is you can zoom in, so that you can zoom past these elements because they're glass, and then yeah. you can take it away and then move everything. So it's like it looks like yeah. basically what you see in Snow White. You can see you're going through yeah. shrubs and and it's basically or what, you can rack focus or blur certain things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Some it, stuff is out of focus in the foreground. I mean, it's really to think that what were you talking about not too long ago? How I feel like we had this conversation about in the inv- the invention of like cinema language and how this things had to be invented. Oh, we were just talking about that with um with silent pictures and then we were talking about um I forgot why. Was that for what did we just do? We just did uh Wayne's World and prior to that was <laughs> Dream Warriors. So maybe it was one of those we were talking about how you forget back then stuff had to be yeah. kind of uh we were talking about shorts, and then it was about like the Great Train Robbery and stuff. Yeah, we started talking about how GW. Yeah, I don't remember what yeah. movie we were. But it was like there's cinema. People <laughs> had to invent the language. It. it was like Master <laughs> Universe. Yeah. Like, what movie were we talking about? Where we were talking about the Great Train Robbery and the creation of cinematic cinematic language. Oh, and, it was talking about cutting. <laughs> the example we used was that people just realized that you can have a like scene going on, you know, uh, parallel action. Yeah, and you can on. cut between that. But the, here's another circumstance where. You know, they found something about the animation needed to be more realistic. Yeah. So how can you do that in terms of photography to make it look more like a regular movie? And they put their heads together and up comes up with this amazing machine. Uh, and then to, as a parallel, that's kind of what how that ballroom scene in Beauty and the Beast yeah. was created. Like, By the how caps. Can we, it's the yeah. same, yeah. It's the same technology I mean, it's, using CGI like that. that, that, that it's this kind of... And they were really worried about that. It's problem solving. Like, how can we push the, the medium? How can we make animation, two-dimensional animation, more, like, live yeah. action? Yeah. And so that it's, it's the same thought process as this in Beauty and the Beast. With and this. and you, you're right. I mean, Ub, I... Ub, I work. I can never pronounce this. I, I think it's. I, I work. I, it's I W E R K, and his first name is U B. Yeah. So it's, uh, I work or I work. Yeah. Yeah, and he, it, like you said, if that was the problem Disney had because there is an eventually a a, a huge um, uh, picket strike that, and then Disney kind of loses conference and he loses that family unit of his because people didn't think Disney. He was always like. You know the idea man going ahead, but then he never sat back and like listened to the, the 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 people saying, "Hey, you know, you're you're taking all the credit. We're here. We don't really feel like you're feeling so much for our plight. You know, I know you 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 love us as a family, but you know, you're not here like doing the day to day, sweating it out as stuff got more popular. Yeah, and that was I think one of the reasons why Ub ended up leaving initially because he had this issue with him, and, and um, Walt was able to lull him back. Um, so they they they. they do a, a short called uh, Playing Crazy in May of 28, and that's the first Mickey Mouse thing. And um, it, 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 it does a great, 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 great. And then the next, they're, they're trying to, th- like you're saying, break new ground. So 
uh, Walt's idea is like, hey, you know, they're, they're making a transition to talkies. Let's do a talkie. The steamboat thing is not the first Mickey? No, the first Mickey is plain crazy. The hmm. third one is, is, is the talkie short is yeah. steamboat. And at the time, that's connected to Buster Keaton. Yeah. Buster Keaton was out doing uh, steamboat bill. Yeah. So they bring in our, our old friend Carl Stalling, who we know, uh, I think famously, he did a lot of music for the Looney Tunes, the yeah, Warner Brothers I mean, stuff. Ama- like a majority like of all that. Amazing yeah. music. Walt uh, brings him in because at the time, he's just a theatrical organist in theaters. And uh, he gets his help to score the short. And it's seven and a half minutes long. And it got better reviews, uh, uh, Steamboat uh, Mickey, uh, got better reviews than uh, some of the regular length movies at the time that were that it was it was being billed with, and it becomes a hit. And people have kind of like speculated for years why Mickey was so a hit, and they think it was because he kind of even though he's American, he kind of transcends you know all over the world. He's not like an asshole. He's very you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like he's not he's because at the time like yeah, a lot yeah. of the characters were like kind of dicks. Sure, you know what I mean. Well, like even you know like bugs that was yeah. You're kind of like a douche. A, you know, know what I mean. A lot of them were. Um, and then, you know, they, after they get into that, they start branching out. They, they do other characters, Dippy Dog, which becomes Goofy, Donald Duck, Clara Cluck, who ends up, you know, f- sadly going away. And uh, the problem is Mickey didn't, uh, Walt didn't want to get bogged down with just a couple of characters. He wanted to, he, he, he took Carl Stalling's suggestion and they said, let's start doing musical compositions and do those as shorts. So they do the first short as a musical composition and it's the graveyard dance of the skeletons to, uh, Greg's March of the Dwarfs, and that's the first thing, like you know, where the skeletons doing like the Charleston sure. and the, the uh, Black Bottom, which were um, songs at the time, and it's called the Skeleton Dance, and the audiences love that. But uh, theatrical distributors are like it's too gruesome. We want more of the mouse. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, Greek? Is that the Greek piece? Yeah, it's uh, G R I E G S Greeks. Yeah, March so of the Dwarfs. The, the, he's also one. The, one of the Fantasias. Well, I think he might have also done in the Hall of the Mountain King. Oh, is that him for that? And that's also that's the part uh, on on the top of the mountain, the bald mountain for uh, Fantasia. They well, it's in the Hall of the Mountain uh, King. You know, in Fantasia, when the big yeah, things yeah. up there. Yeah, no, in it's the It's called like Night on Bald Mountain or something. Yeah, that's and that's, that's that. In the Hall of the Mountain King is the M. from M. Yeah, yeah but I yeah. think that's the piece that's being played on top of the dun 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 dun. dun, dun you know, when yeah, yeah, you yeah. know when they're playing up there. So. Uh, the Carl Starling things, the shorts they start doing, they start being com- be called Silly Symphonies, and they start doing a whole bunch of these. And those are going into the 30s and 40s. And the next thing, in like 35, Disney's still trying to appear, uh, pioneer, and he says, you know what, let's get into the color process. So they invent this, like, this three-color technique is developed, and Walt gets an exclusive deal with Technicolor that he can use them, and he signs a contract so no other cartoonist can use color for two years. And Walt's putting out... Um, color stuff and the first thing he puts out is called flower and trees and that's in 32 and that wins a best oscar for for uh, best short and then they do the little pigs in may of 33 and it's in the midst of the depression when that comes out it's praised by the nation because that's like the song where it's like who's afraid of the big bad wolf the big bad wolf and it becomes like the big you know like uh yeah. slogan for like people like you know fuck the depression you know <laughs> who's afraid of the big bad wolf you know yeah. uh and and then during this time um you know walt wants his animators to like almost transcend transcend being a cartoonist he wants them to become artists so he starts putting them into like school and he send he's sending them to like you know he's driving them to and fro to the local college to learn how to like increase their uh their craft and um in 1934 he gets the idea he wants to uh go beyond shorts he wants to do something bigger 
But the problem is, you know, it's the only thing to do is do features. And it was kind of like a monetary decision because even though Mickey was known just as much as like Chaplin or Buster Keaton or Greta Garbo, they weren't getting paid as much as these shorts weren't making that much money and it's a short. Yeah. So the next logical decision was for him to be able to do features. And that's where they, you know, and for him at the time was he was just doing these, he would do shorts were just like, you know, ideas he'd plop together. So that this is where we get into like the late thirties where his idea is to adapt Snow White and have Snow White do this huge thing they never did before. So they get Ebb back and they develop this thing we just talked about called the multi-plane camera, which was like 14 feet high, like we said. Yeah. And it cost 70000 to to just make. And it was this thing that we said can do all these different things. And they, they dumped all this money into this thing, you know, Snow White. And that's where it becomes, at the time, people were laughing at it. And they were calling it Disney's Follies because they didn't think they were going to be able to, this, yeah. this is no, there's no future. And you can get, people never thought of the idea of being able to go up and aside from watching cartoons to make you laugh or just stupid like short gags or, you know, maybe we just a music accompaniment to actually be able to have other emotions like cry, scary, fear. So, uh, you know, uh, Snow White, he presses on with it. He releases it in, in 38, I think at the end of 37, maybe like the end of December, and he makes $8 million off of it. And it's like, at the time, it was 23 cents for an adult, and it was 10 cents, a nickel, or I mean a dime for a kid. And he blows it away. And then, you know, he starts uh, increasing the practice where, he, you know, he's like, let's, then they start figuring out what else they want to do. So from there, they do the next one is Pinocchio. And they, and they, they pioneer. Pinocchio. They, yeah, they pioneer some stuff in there. And that's a very dark. I mean, I watched Pinocchio a couple of years ago, and there's yeah, like the whole aspect of. Up. <laughs> you know I mean, it's like you forget about how, I mean, Snow White is dark, you yeah. know. And a lot of these movies we can't get into because we're not doing the, that on the cast. Maybe we'll do them some other day. But like Pinocchio is like, there's some fucked up shit in there. Yeah, like yeah. we're with all the, the temptation and him being brought to that island and then Monstro swallowing the belly of the whale like yeah, Jonah and all that kind of shit. Donkey. Turning into donkeys. And I remember at the time, um, what's his face? Jimmy Cricket. The, the, he says like, you know, you're going to be a horse's ass or something and I, or a jackass. And I was like, oh my God, there was a swear in a movie and it was a Disney movie. You know, they're smoking yeah. in it. It's really dark. And then the next uh, step in evolution is they're, they're thinking of like doing like uh, another extended music piece. And they develop this form of stereophonic sound, which predates like that by, in movies by like 15 years for Fantasia. But at this time, what happens is the big problem with Disney is the war hits in like 1939 or 40. Yeah. So because of that, Pinocchio doesn't do well. Fantasia doesn't do well. Uh, and then by that time, you're in the war. So they kind of drop off. And there's this lull in the career of... Um, and during that time also, you have the move to Burbank from out of the Hyperion Avenue. They move. They, they, they put a studio up in Burbank. Yeah. He has the war starts. He has this big strike where we're talking about now where people aren't happy what he's doing there because they don't think he's really following his standards. Yeah. And so he, and then all his money is also tied up in England. All the, there's some sort of English law where the money he makes over there, he can't bring out of the UK to like do stuff here. So that's why he eventually in the 50s gets into doing live action movies over there yeah, to try yeah. to get rid of that money. But the, the, one of the interesting little interesting tidbit, which we learned when we went to. Uh, we should explain what we did. Yeah. We took a trip to... On a plane, and we thought about you. <laughs> we went to... <laughs> Sorry, it's a musical cast. <laughs> we, uh, we went to California <clears throat> for a trip, uh, like an animation art thing. Yeah. And part of it was uh, we went to the Ronald Reagan Library, which they had a big Walt Disney exhibit at the time, which we kind of alluded to earlier, which... 
There's a lot of costumes. Reagan, the Nautilus was there. Yeah, Reagan was friends with Disney. Because remember, they were actors at the time. So Reagan actually, they had footage of Reagan on the opening day of, is it Disneyland in... Um, is in California. Yeah. So in the mid fifties, when that opened, Reagan was there as the like the reporter on the street giving the report that day. So him and Walt were actually quite close. So that's the reason why the logical yeah. idea is they have a wing of the library to be able to do like these installations. So they on loan from I guess the San Francisco Museum, they had this exhibit at the Reagan yeah. Library. And then one of the things we did, which is, <clears throat> you know, when I went to the California in last April, about a year ago, I went to on the studio tours. I did. I went to. Warner Brothers. We talked about that on a, on a sidecast. I went to Warner Brothers. I went to Universal. I went to Paramount. And these are things you can pay for. And you get a tour. Uh, Disney doesn't have one of those. The Disney Studio in Burbank. But we were lucky enough to be part of this group that went. And we got kind of a private tour from a couple of people that used to work for Disney. Yeah. Uh, some of them still do, I think. Or they do something. They, they work with Disney, but not for Disney anymore. Um and so they walked us around, and we ate at the commissary, and we got to walk around the. It's like this is this this is the Mary Poppins studio. Unfortunately, because it was a, it's a working studio, when we weren't part of like an official tour group, we didn't get to go into a lot of things that you might be able to do if you were on like a paid tour. Oh, no, but we got. To, but we still got. But it was still awesome. We got to like yeah, we got to like step it, onto the lot because it was. It's a very unique thing because, like I said, they don't have a paid tour. So yeah. we got to go and we walked through the original animation building. Like you said, we ate at the canteen, which was crazy. Then we then we we got to walk down the streets, all designed by Walt, with the, you know, with the street signs and all. And then we, like you said, we got to go to the uh, the the original cartoon, the, the animation building, and walk through that. Yeah, and, and we got to uh, being outside. Like, oh, look up at that window. That's that was Walt's office. Yeah, and stuff like that. But one of the things, since we're talking about uh, animation, Disney World War Two, one of the things that we learned on that trip was if you're a collector of animation art, the Dumbo stuff is very rare. Yeah, because of the paint they had to use. Something to do with there, there was an embargo on like certain kinds of paints because of the war, so they had to use like, uh, like regular paint. <laughs> yeah, they'd use like steel, like ship gray and stuff, or they used they used certain kinds of paints because they were restricted. So during the war years, there's a certain so the the paint doesn't because that paint was not made for this. It was like it was very thick and and ended up when it dried, there was no longevity yeah, to it. Yeah, break. So the paint yeah. itself would like crack and and peel off and stuff. So the Dumbo shorts, getting not, uh, the Dumbo cells from the the uh, the featured length film from Dumbo. If you're trying to find a cell art from that, apparently that that's among the rarest of Disney's movies because, yeah. which I thought was a fascinating thing. So you know, the, who would have known? They, they said like embargoes on stuff on. Uh, paint and, sh- and yeah. stuff during World War II. It's like a battleship gray, like whatever that was. Like they were <laughs> yeah, using that color. Called, called, caused no. them to have to use products that they norm- normally wouldn't use. And then because it wasn't meant for that, they didn't stay on didn't stay on the cells. So you yeah. can't really find those anymore. Well, that was the problem when they were developing color like 10 years before in the mid-30s was with Technicolor was they were trying to figure out what... Because they had a, they had a, a process with, with regular movies where it was like, it was like a three-tone... But when they were doing actual Technicolor, they couldn't figure out what they can paint on cells because once it dried, like you're saying, if it went through sprockets and machines, yeah. projectors, it would just flake off. Or they had so Walt at one point said, like, "We've got the money. Why don't we just invent this technology ourselves?" And that's what they ended up doing. But once the war hits, 
they can't do that. And also, they don't have them. They're severely depleted because Pinocchio didn't do well. Snow White does very well, but Pinocchio doesn't do well, and Fantasia doesn't do well. And then they're in the war, so they don't know what to do. So they do these. They do Dumbo, which is only like 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 sixty one minutes, or like it's very. It's like yeah. sixty five minutes, and then they do like the Reluctant Dragon. They do Bambi. And then after Bambi, they do these things. They're called like the package years where they do like uh, Salute Amigos. They do the Three Caballeros. They do Song of the South. They do uh, Fun and Fancy Free where they're just taking these. They're just basically taking shorts and tacking them together for all intents and purposes. And we got like uh, the last one they end up doing is the Adventures of Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad. Yeah. And then uh, they, when the war is over, they need to make another movie. And, the, and, and I guess at that time, there was an idea of they were thinking maybe let's do Beauty and the Beast, but in 46, Beauty and the Beast is done by... Um, John Cocteau. Yeah, so Walt's like, we, we shouldn't do that because it was just done, so let's do something new. So that's why they kind of opt for Cinderella, and they end up doing Cinderella, which comes out in 1950, and that's a big hit. But then after Cinderella, the problem ends up being is Walt starts putting his foot in too many uh, things and he kind of gets out. They don't have the, the creative leadership anymore because uh, Cinderella is 1950. Alice in Wonderland comes out and Alice in Wonderland kind of tanks. So the movie, the money they made on Cinderella kind of clears Alice. So they, they're kind of break even. And then uh, in f- you have in 54, 20,000 Leagues comes out. So he was all uh, stuck doing that film yeah they're they've they've moved on to the the new uh form called television so he's in tv they're making a park in california so though the animators don't really have that guidance anymore so they put out lady in the tramp in 1955 they put out sleeping beauty in 1959 but then in between 1959 1963 when sword in the stone comes out they put like 25 live action movies out like flubber you know the the shaggy dog you have darby gill and the little people all these live action swiss family robinson so you get these years after beauty and the uh, sleeping beauty like we were just saying where you start getting this idea of them with the with the uh, xerox technology where it kind of gets a little dirty yeah yeah you know and you you get sword in the stone in 63 and then you get jungle book comes out in 67 but walt dies in the middle of the jungle book or near the end in like 66 yeah and then after that they were saying like if jungle book didn't do good uh they would have eventually ended up uh you know folding the animation unit because the live action you know like uh, Mary Poppins, all those movies were doing so well, but Jungle Book does so so good. It really is a saving grace for them, and it keeps the animation department open. Now, I, one of the th- interesting things about Disney, and it's the thing that I, it's when I when you talk about this, and unfortunately, I don't know all the details of how it works, but the thing about Disney is the success of Disney, Snow White, these early, a lot of these early films, Pinocchio, these are all based on other our previous stories. Yeah, for the most part. And so Disney, the success of Disney was built on public domain. Yeah. Being able to use previous works, stories, books and stuff, and then adapting them to film without having to pay for the rights of those. Because well, remember... When Disney, his brother Roy, and all them were growing up, there was there was not tele, there was no movies created yet or radio. So a lot of you know the, your form of entertainment was the book. Sure. So they're just like you're saying they're dipping back to Robin Hood, whatever they grew up reading, and you're like, now, like you know. Now here's the dick thing about Walt Disney. Yeah. Is he built his the entire success of Disney is built on the back of the of public domain. Yeah. And then I don't know how, but he is instrumental in changing the public domain laws strictly because 
uh, he didn't want his film of Snow White to go into public domain when it normally would have went into public. After domain. how many years? Or yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't, I, think, I don't know the details enough, but he lobbied or whatever. Somehow he changed used, it. He used his, uh, you know, his threw his weight around and got the public domain laws changed just so his films wouldn't go into public domain when they were about to go into public domain. It's brilliant. When <laughs> it's brilliant, but it's such yeah, a yeah, dick, yeah. It's, it's such it's, a he dick doesn't want move. people capitalizing on him. Yeah. When he ca- when if it wasn't for those public domain laws originally, he never would have been able to make Snow White. And yeah, all, and and Disney never would have been the success that it was. I mean, there is examples of like 101 Dalmatians, and I'm sure there's a couple others in there where he like bought. You know, he bought a lot of the properties of stuff like this. Oh, stuff sure. Of, I mean, of, and then, of you Mr. Know. Toad and stuff was all but stuff that he bought. Those but, original ones. Yeah, Snow White, all the fairy tales. Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, um, Alice in Wonderland. Was, I mean, I, I would think Lewis Carroll would be uh, in public domain by that point. Yeah, I don't know. But <clears throat> it's just like that's one Pinocchio, of those things yeah. where it's like. Man, well, I mean, Walt, what you doing? Walt was kind of a dick. <laughs> well, Jackie Gleason did a similar thing with the Honeymooners. Jackie Gleason, he scored the original theme that you hear before the Honeymooners shorts. And then in like the 80s, I don't know what the timeline, whenever they were going to come up for public domain, he then copyrighted the song. So if he's only copywriting the song in like 82, then that's going to be another 50 years. Yeah, yeah. And that's tagged on to every, you know, and, you know, a lot of these forward-thinking guys, I mean, you know, like a Jackie Gleason or a... Um, What's his face? Uh, Ricky Ricardo. You know, it's like them yeah. thinking like shoot it on film. You know, Desi they Arnaz. Desi Arnaz. I said Ricky Ricardo. Yeah, Desi Arnaz. Like they had the forethought to think of, yeah. you know, where the medium would go. I just, you know, looking back on Disney. I mean, when you're little, you don't really understand Disney's role, Walt Disney's role in Disney. You know, it turns out Disney Walt was not a great artist. No, and not a great. Animator. And he knew that early on. That's why he brought Eben. He's like, I that need you guys. That was his genius. Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, he's. The Stanley George of his Lu- time. Well, and the, or yeah. like the George Lucas. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Lucas made, you know, he had a, the hit with American Graffiti and then, of course, Star Wars. But then Lucas's genius was not creating Star Wars. It was uh, the toys. You know, having Merchandising. The, merchandising Star Wars. Creating Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah. Creating Dolby Surround Sound. And the only thing he didn't do was Disney... Put it, he wanted to be the person in charge, the showman, and that's what got a lot of animosity to build up for that strike in the 40s when they yeah. moved from Hyperion Avenue to uh, Burbank. But that's the only thing George Lucas didn't really do. He didn't really come out and be like, "Hi, I'm George Lucas," and put his <laughs> you know sit on the on, yeah, the, yeah. on the desk. You but know, when you think about like the you know Disney's genius of of being a businessman, Lucas, from a guy who went into filmmaking to make like experimental. Yeah, documentaries to becoming like a juggernaut in the film business because you think about between industrial light and magic and like Dolby, nothing is yeah, surround. He touches sound, everything. Nothing is not. Know, and the Star Wars ranch with the sound stuff. He had a hand. His businesses he created had a hand in every movie since then. Yeah, in some way, it's or a genius. Another. It's yeah. It's kind of like I guess to an extent what Walt did with with in, with Disney and, and yeah. you know. And then Walt realizing in the fifties, hey, let's invest a lot of money in this television. Let's let's uh, let's make a theme park. People will want to go to this place, and you know, I forget uh, Epcot stands for like experimental 
city of tomorrow. I forget what the, what the, what the anachronism is, but it yeah, means yeah. something like he had all these ideas of all these like Tomorrowland and all this. And that was where his genius was like spreading himself out in all these different mediums. Ask Google what Epcot means. Yeah. Ask Google live what um, it's, it stands for something. What does Epcot stand for? Experimental prototype community of tomorrow. You know. According to Disney mom's panel, it stands for experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Thank you, Google. Thank you, Google. You're welcome. That was nice. <laughs> very courteous. Yeah, very courteous, that Google. I don't like people who uh, like make fun of their Siri or mean. I'm like, you shouldn't do that because <laughs> when, the, when the computers become self-aware, <laughs> you're going to be the first one they kill, buddy. Yeah, I'm not paranoid. <laughs> uh, so but that was his genius. But then because of that, the animation side suffers. And then you get into the 60s, there's no direction. So as you get into the 70s, you get the aristocrats, Aristocats, you get the uh, uh, Robin Hood, you get the Rescuers, you get Peach Dragon, which is a mixture of live action animation, Mm -hmm. and then you get the Fox and the Hound in 81 during the 70s. It's like, that's why they're all over the place. They don't know really what tenor they're doing, what tone, and there's kind of a conflict there with the, um, during like uh, the, the... Fox and the Hound, the Black Cauldron, where they don't know which way to go. There's different people coming in. Some people are like, well, you know, they have ideas, uh, and the animators are over-embellishing, you know. So you have, it ends up coming out like uh, Fox and the Hound come out, or the Black Cauldron comes out in 85, and it's beat by Care Bears in the theaters. Then the next movie, The uh, Great Mouse Detective, opposite it you have... Um, Steven Spielberg, who his company puts out American Tale, that beats uh, The Great Mouse Detective. And then Oliver and Company finally comes out in 88, and that's up against The Land Before Time, and that actually beats The Land Before Time. But they were struggling there for a minute. And then you get into this 80s era that that we talked about, which is the... um, in the flat of the navigator uh, post where they, they, you know, they don't know really what to do at that point with, with, uh, with Disney. Should they break up? You know, there was some investor came in and bought like a stake in the company in the eighties and was threatening to like, just sell off all the different portions to the highest bidder. Well, I think you got to look at it in that context of Disney created feature length animation uh, in cinema and then was the forerunner and the name brand for feature-length animation for decades. I mean, 50 years, something like that. Yeah. Crazy. And then all of a sudden in the 80s... Everybody can do it. Yeah. Like, other studios are releasing animated features that are doing better financially, box office-wise, than Disney. And so there was this moment of Disney had to take a step back and say like, well, we're kind of getting spanked here. The, the you Ep- know? Epcot wasn't making much money at the time. The animation studio wasn't making much money, but what was making money were their live action stuff. The Sunday night movies splash was huge. At the box office, they invented touchstone and like out of touchstone pictures, you get like ruthless people. You get another Bette Midler, Danny DeVito movie. So in the late eighties, they decided to, a, a memo came down to like, kick out the animators from this building that you and I walk through yeah. that had they'd been in since basically animating I think it was either Bambi or Cinderella yeah. and they have to make room because Robin Williams Bette Midler and like I think uh, Dane DeVito need offices you know they, they gotta start accommodating the live action segment of like Touchstone and like you know Tom Hanks and those you know the, these uh, actors who were gonna be on the Burbank sets and stuff so they were like disheartened and they get moved away to like Glendale 
And in Glendale, they start doing these other movies through the 80s. They do like, you know, like we said, the, rest, the, the Great Mouse Detective and Oliver and company there sure. until they ba build this other place, you know, to bring them back in, which is we also got to go see, which is across the street from the Burbank lot, the new animation building, yeah. which is kind of, it looks like um, the hat Mickey wore in Fantasia. Yeah, it's like kind of how the, hat. Yeah, that's kind of how it looks. So that was a very tumultuous time. After Disney died, uh, after 38 years, and he dies in 66, so after 38 years, he had 400 shorts and he had 23 features under his belt. So when you get into the 80s there, um, you know, they didn't really know what to do. And then they hire, again, we talked about this in the um, Flight of the Navigator, but they bring in Jeffrey Katzenberg to do the live action stuff, and they bring Michael Eisner. And I think Michael Eisner, the first thing he does is he starts – Let's let's look back at what we have, and he starts really pushing. He be, he becomes the Walt Disney, where he starts pushing himself on Sunday nights, being the spokesperson, like you know. And then also he starts he probably greenlits all those Saturday morning or, or after school cartoons, Gummy mm -hmm. Bears, Dick Tracy, uh, Dick Tracy, Ducktales, yeah. Chip and Dale. You get all those things come out, and then uh, at the same time after. They, they, the, the Great Mouse Detective is like the first time they end up using some sort of form of computer technology in a Disney movie. And they have this great idea of, you know, and that kind of, uh, it was going to be the Basil of Baker Street. And they, they have the idea, they rename it uh, Great Mouse Detective and Vincent Price is in it. So it's a modest hit. It kind of shows, hey, we still can do this after the Fox and the Hound and the Black Cauldron didn't do very well. Uh, Oliver and Company does well. It's a form of Oliver Twist with Billy Joel, Bette Midler, Cheech, uh, Cheech Marin. And... They bring in, I think it's either Katzenberg's idea or is it Michael Eisner's idea to bring in uh, Howard Ashman and um, Alan Menken, who had just wrote the, the book of the Broadway show um, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, which was a huge hit on Broadway. And he says, let's bring them in yeah. and we'll do, let's start focusing in on the old days, the musicals. Let's do musicals again. Yeah. And that's how we get Little Mermaid there. Now, if I'm not mistaken, like, they put all their eggs in that basket. Like, had Little Mermaid yeah. not done well, I think it would have like spelled they the would have closed the animation yeah. uh, part of Disney. Because they were struggling through the 80s of hanging on. Now, we should say that if you're interested in this story, there's a really good documentary that you turned me on to, Dion, about this part of the Disney history. Yeah. And what is that documentary called? Oh, Waking <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Yeah, we talk we bring that up a couple times in this in this podcast series we do. Yeah. yeah it's, it's from totally 2009. I mean, it's interesting because this was also the era or era of home video uh recording. Yeah. So they had cameras. The animators had cameras. So there's all this VHS footage. Oh, back Tim Burton animating a show. Yeah, you know, them. Old, see, here's Tim. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's them walking around with cameras. So you just have all this great behind the scenes footage of that the time, that, yeah. they, that the animators themselves were shooting yeah. of each other for fun or just for prosperity or because they had a camera around. I think if if you if you want to research this uh two invaluable things a book that I have that I've had since 1991 it came out it's called Disney's Art and Animation from Mickey Mouse to Beauty and the Beast by Bob Thomas that came out in 91. That's a whole history of all what we're talking about here. Waking Sleeping Beauty, which is a documentary that came out in 2009, which talks about specifically the 80s onward into, like, I think, Lion King, that era that we're talking about. And then there's one more documentary, which came out in 95, called Frank and Ollie, and that's about Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston. And it, and it talks, they're in their, like, twilight years, and they reminisce about the beginning days of Disney, what we just got through. Yeah. And because Disney, he ended up, because, like, 
Blake just alluded to, he knew very early on that he wasn't the artist he needed to be. So he brought all these people together. So he developed what he ends up calling the, I think it's the nine old men. Yeah. yeah something you know, like that. and it's Frank, Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnson, and like, you know, seven other guys. And they're all, each guy has a specialty. This guy's able to do emotion. Good. This guy's able to do jokes. Good. This guy's able to do emote songs, you know, and he has them. And, and those are his core animators that really go from snow. White, literally, I think until, maybe the end of the era where Waking Sleeping Beauty picks up is, which I think is like either the Rescuers or Pete's Dragon, and they all start retiring. And then in Waking Sleeping Beauty, they talk about that. Um, the, the person who does the documentary, who has all these home videos, he starts talking about it was the changing of the guard in the 80s because you still have all these old timers that are hanging around that are like in their 60s, they're starting to retire, and you have this new generation who's coming in who are like in their 20s who are gung-ho to go, have all this enthusiasm, but they don't have any guidance from the animation department. So yeah, yeah. when they get to Little Mermaid and they get like kind of reinvigorated with Alan Menken's songs and um, uh, Howard Ashman's lyrics, uh, that's what where the like re rejuvenation comes in, and that becomes what they call the re Renaissance period for the Disney years. Because when Little Mermaid comes on '89, it, it blows all expectations away, and it yeah. and it puts them on the map and. At that time, the lyricist Howard, Howard Ashman was already toying with Aladdin, and he was writing stuff up. But then they said, hey, we have this, this other property that we've been sitting on, Beauty and the Beast, for almost 50 years at this point. Uh, how about, you, we know you don't want to, but would you, could, would you be able to, like, us, could we sway you into doing the book for that? So he agrees, him and Alan Menken and uh, Howard Kirschman end up uh, deciding to say yes, they'll write the Beauty and the Beast, and that's where we get to our podcast tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Big setting of the table, Beauty yeah. and the Beast, uh, based on a French fairy tale. Yeah, uh, by Jean Marie Le Prince de Beaumont. Uh, and this adaptation is interesting. I mean, we had a quick little reference to the French film by Jean Cocteau, which is among my favorite. Uh, films uh, when we were in high when we were in high school when we were in college let me let me interject one thing <clears throat> that they there is the story of beauty and the beast there's a woman called gabrielle suzanne bray divan village i'm pronouncing her french name wrong she supposedly wrote the original but then uh beaumont, beaumont took it and and i guess did like an abridged version and that's like the one that everyone bases yeah, yeah. everything off of in the 1700s but you're Cocteau. Yeah. So uh, Cocteau was a French filmmaker. He had uh, a silent film called Blood of a Poet, maybe, mm. which we saw and I kind of I fell in love with. I mean, the, uh, Cocteau was an interesting guy, an artist. You know, the, when you get into this early cinema, that's the other interesting thing about early cinema, which is... We, you know, we kind of were talking about that this idea of a cinematic language had to be created. But then you had these other artists experimenting with a new art form. Guys like Méliès and uh, and then Cocteau. And what do you think that's comparable to And then Luis Benuel and, and Dali doing like Un Chien de Um It was a new art form. So these guys were exploring. And now... Uh, I took a class on surrealist art when we were in college, and all it did was make me hate the surrealists because they were all f assholes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I really disliked about them was they were very snotty and very uh, exclusive. You know, they wanted to 
you know, they didn't they, they would tell you whether you could be in the club or not. And one of the guys that very they, elitist. Yeah, very elitist. And one of the guys that they would never give props to for his surrealist work was Cocteau. Uh, was and, Dolly part of this too? Or no, these are just that, Well, the thing was, <clears throat> they, Dolly? it wasn't uh, it wasn't film. Uh, they loved, yeah, oh, just, sorry. you know, film was part of that, yeah. you know, it was all this stuff. Now, what's interesting is they loved Dolly. Yeah. And they, they just, they wanted to suck Dolly off. <laughs> they loved Dolly so much, but Dolly never, he associated with them, but he never would have, cons- he never considered himself a surrealist. So he never gave them like the satisfaction of like being, <clears throat> Excuse me, of actually being like part of their. He group. seems like a really cool guy because Vincent Price, who I think we've also alluded to, was a big art historian, and he did the Sears and Roebuck thing in the '60s, where he was getting art sold through Sears for people like of our capacity to be able to afford. And he got Dolly to do a couple pieces to put out, and he's, he's you know that's very accessible. And Jackie Gleason had a music career as sure. doing music albums, and he did a cover for G. Gleason, <clears throat> so he seemed like a real. Down to earth kind of a guy as comparable. I mean, to yeah, I mean he guys. was a loon. Oh mean, yeah, but, but I mean, but like, like seems cool. Yeah, you know? I mean, he's not. He's kind of like I guess of um, Andy Warhol, where you can like talk to him. Although he ha- he's on a different plane where he's whatever he's doing with his art, but he wasn't yeah. like you're saying these dudes who are like pretentious snobs. And he lived. You know? He lived it too. I mean, he like created his own language. Yeah, that and, mo- that crazy mustache. <laughs> crazy mustache. I mean, he was he was crazy. And it's think that you th- you know when I think of Salvatore Dali, I think of a guy like you know going back to like uh, what's his face. Um, no, who cut his ear off? Uh, Van Gogh. I think if it's Van Gogh time, but no, Sa- Sa- uh, Salvatore Dali was like around. Oh in the yeah, 60s I mean, there's pictures of like Alice Cooper. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like you think. I think Dali because I don't know my art history. Yeah, is bad. Picasso's the same way. Yeah, Picasso, Picasso was, was hanging out in the, or like you know, it's just so amazing to think these people were alive, you know, in the time. But so Cocteau, uh, blood of a poet, he did uh, an adaptation of a story called Orpheus, which is uh, another movie that I love. But his version of uh, Beauty and the Beast, La Belle et, et, et Albet. It's funny. You, th- you must think all the people who, who are good linguists are yeah, yeah. just good like with English. Yeah, they're every time. We mask everything. Yeah, we mask everything. We're like, uh, there's a guy named Walt da- Disney. <laughs> 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 he did a movie called uh, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> uh, but if you have, it's in French. Uh, so if that you, stop you, so if you're uh, adverse to reading a movie and and not into black and white, you know, but Shame but if you. you're gonna, <clears throat> I don't know, I'm gonna, <clears throat> uh, but if you're going to explore, this movie is visually stunning, and it's from and 1946. It's phenomenal. 46, and it's one of the reasons why, like you said, Disney ended up putting doing Beauty and the Beast on hold. It wasn't so much like they had already done it, but it was like. They already did it live action the like way that. we would have done it animation. Yeah. Like they already did our movie. Yeah. It wasn't like they just did the story. Uh, as a, you know, the story, obviously, it's very similar to this story. So I would totally recommend if you're willing to explore and you haven't seen it yet, the 46 version by Cocteau is open your mind and let the sheer creativity of that movie visually kind of like take you over. Did he do Joan of Arc too? No, I think that was Or in Ivan the Terrible. Who who am I am I, th- am I getting all the same people mixed up? He wasn't that uh That's German, isn't it? I feel like that was the Russian guy, wasn't it? Maybe. 
Uh, uh, it's a, my my film school days. It's sketchy. <laughs> I know it's. But did we watch? We watched, we watched a lot of movies. We watched Ivan the Terrible. I think we watched Joan of Arc. Did we watch Cocteau was Beating the Beast, or was it just? No, we didn't watch that. We watched Blood of a Poet, and yeah. we may have watched Orpheus. Okay, I think we did. But watch I don't Orpheus. think we watched Be- the Beauty. And then the there's Beast. Black Orpheus, which is uh, something else we watched, which is also Cocteau. But okay, uh, but his version of this is really well. So the, our Disney's Beating the Beast is not. Uh, a faithful version of the fairy tale. Cocteau's is more of a faithful version. But then even though the uh, heads of Disney at the time, when they have their artists start getting ready to do Disney's version of Beauty and the Beast, the two things they say to him is don't go watch the Cocteau movie and don't go look at the, the TV series on at the time. Cause in the late eighties, you had the Lyndall Hamilton and Ron Perlman show. Yeah. But because of the Cocteau version, we get the character Gaston because they didn't have that character in the original fairy tale. The, and, but the character is not named Gaston no, in, he's, in, uh, in the Cocteau version. Yeah, but there is a love interest. There is a, a man in love with Belle who becomes, <clears throat> excuse me, becomes a bit of an antagonist in the film. Yeah, and, and, and it, it kind of goes the way that it does in this movie. Now, what's interesting is the guy who plays the Beast, uh, Jean Marier, or Mar Mar Marais. Uh event if, 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 I'm pronouncing this wrong again. Forgive us Fra- the French. Uh his his uh name is uh Avenant. A V E N A N T. Avenant is but the, the character in the Cocteau but version. But the uh, actor that plays the beast also plays that character. In the Cocteau version. Yeah, the same actor plays those two characters. And he also is the one that plays Orpheus in in the French. In oh, that's fascinating. Version captain yeah yeah it's, it's it is it's an interesting kind of take to have this i mean because if you, i mean he's in heavy makeup as the beast and, and as the yeah man. but like shocking i mean i guess not that shocking when you think of what was going on with universal and 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 all that stuff but the uh you don't when you think of big makeup effects you don't necessarily think of French or you know uh, you think you think of American actually too, at that time you think about France too I mean we're talking post-war I mean France was decimated I mean all of like you yeah. know half of England and most of Europe was decimated so the the war ends 46 yeah so the thing that they're coming out with a movie like that and to my recollection I haven't seen it since film school but I remember it looking visually stunning in the sense of just the black and white Christmas of it yeah, you know yeah. it doesn't look it kind of looks like a lot of our Hollywood product that was coming out at the time, really refined black and white crisp, almost like film noirish kind of with the colors and yeah, not I mean, colors. The, it the kind shadows. of takes. I mean, I don't know the original story, but I would imagine that uh, part. You know, it's very reminiscent of what's going on in the Disney film in that there aren't characters that are the inanimate objects that are now animate, but it is like the castle itself is alive. You know, yeah. there's hands that hold the candelabras and the real hands and the statues that are in the in the fireplace mantle. They move. It's very freaky. Um, the, the doors open themselves. You know, like the, the house is there. It's yeah. enchanted to take care of her when she comes. The, to, for, to make a long story short, the original fairy tale is basically like a wealthy man is going to a port city to try to reclaim some riches that are coming back on ships that he sent out. And he has a number of daughters and sons. They all ask for like vain stuff. Yeah. Like They're all vanity. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically kind of a version of Cinderella. They all ask for like either like the men ask for the kids, sons ask for like weapons to help hunt or whatever. The girls ask for stuff like, you know, clothes or makeup or stuff. And then the, the youngest daughter, Belle, who's like the beautiful of them all, she, she just like, 
asked for yeah, a rose. She's kind of like the at least in the in the in the Cocteau version, she's like the Cinderella. Yeah, she's she's the most beautiful, but she's also the nicest. She's very well read. She's like she, the most humble. She's the one that does all the housework. <clears throat> in this, in this, you know, kind of talking about the two stories. Uh, in in the Cocktober's, that's her, and she asks for you just know. The, bri- the, there's no roses around this around here. Yeah. Will you bring me home? Would you bring back a rose? And and so on his way there, he gets into a terrible storm, loses his horse. He finds this castle, goes into this castle. He doesn't see who the person is. The person takes care of him. This is the father uh, for the night. And then uh, as he's leaving, he's he sees a rose bush, and he's like, oh shit, uh, you know, I oh. I'm sorry. He goes to the port city, finds out that none of the things he was supposed to get ended up. The, I think all the ships sank or they were all plundered. So he he's able to come back with nothing for the family. But then he gets stuck, goes in the, in the storm, gets stuck in the uh, you know he takes refuge in the castle. You know, so when he's leaving, he's like, oh look, there's a rose bush. At least I can bring Bell home a rose. So he snips like the beautifulest rose in the rose bush, and all of a sudden this beast appears. Like you know what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Those are my roses. Yeah, he's Those like my prize rose. Yeah, he's like he's like one. I you know I I've opened my house to you. I gave you everything. I gave you food, shelter. You know that was a big thing back. Then food, shelter during the storm, and then you're taking yeah my most prized possession, which are my roses, and you're cutting. So he imprisons. I love back in the day you can just imprison a dude yeah, and be like throw him in the fuck him. And then there's no there's no like time like not for the weekend. It's not like <laughs> letting him sleep it off. It's like you're gonna be there like interred for like you know for an undispensed amount of time. So he's the the father's makes a deal with him. He's like I can't, you know I need to my my daughter whatever. So he makes a deal, and it's again it's like the old days on a promise. Like he'll send his daughter back. Yeah, so in the original version, he goes home, he sends Belle back. Belle agrees to honor the promise and all the other, you know, the, the, the Cinderella-ass daughters. Like, fuck that. Why would you do that? And then she goes, and she every, and then it becomes every night they have dinner. The Beast's like, will you marry me? Will you marry me? She's like, no. Will you marry me? Will you know? And then finally, she's getting down. Beast's like, what's wrong? He's like, uh, you know, I'm missing my dad. She show, he, she, you know, he's, he's like, okay, you can go back and see your dad. Uh, take this mirror with you because if you ever want to think of me, you can look at me and take the rose with you. So he goes home. She starts hanging out with them, and her promises to return. Uh, the the evil sisters convince her not to return. Who cares? Why do you have to keep your promise? Yeah, yeah. So she's one day like, let me look into the mirror and see what the beast is up to. So she she. She mirror mirror on the wall. Let's see what the fuck the beast is doing right now. And he's like uh, by the rose bushes, like near death because he's so in agony that he he's fallen in love with her and she hasn't come back. And he's near death. She feels so bad. She runs back. He's near death's bed. And she says, please don't. I love you. Please don't die. And then all of a sudden he turns in this beautiful hunk. He's like, yeah. you know, he's like freaking like he's like the ultimate warrior. <laughs> You know, he's like, snap into it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she's like, oh, my God. And, and then he tells a story like this evil fairy came and he she he cursed me and he cursed the castle. You broke it. And then we find out like the, the, the father of her family is like from good fairies. So they end up marrying. And that's the, that's the old. Yeah. yeah. Lane, you know, very quickly. The, the, the cocktail version is very similar to that. Except uh, they invent this. This They need a they need like an antagonist. So yeah, they invent yeah. this uh, Avante or, you know, yeah. Avanant. <laughs> <laughs> they, Avante. They, they, they invent uh, what's his face <laughs> Eric Estrada called Avante uh, but big change you know the thing is when she finds out her father's sick and she's like oh my father's sick and he's she's like well, can I go I'll go for a week yeah and he's like okay so he says he gives to her this golden key he's like all my treasures are in this tower right here I don't know why he tells her that. It doesn't end up being like a big part of the thing. He's like, but I'm going to give you the key to it. So here's the key. The key to my heart. Take my glove. This glove is enchanted. If you wear the glove, it'll send you anywhere you want to go. Take the mirror. It's almost like the, uh, what's the, 
uh, what's his face for the new the Guardians of the Galaxy? What's his <laughs> the glove? Uh, fa- famous, you know, he has the, yeah, yeah. the so, Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> so he just says like, know that if you don't come back in a week, I'm gonna die of grief. Like you can go, but I'm trusting you with my treasures. This gold key that has all my treasures. Oh, he is whipped, and <laughs> and with my life. And he hasn't even gotten any from her yet. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like, I'm, just, I'm trusting you with this. Yeah. So then she goes, and she puts the glove on, and then she, like, pops out of the wall in the house. I mean, it's really cool looking. Like, yeah. the, visually, the stuff is really cool in the 46. They say that. I think that's the other thing. Maybe it is a glove in the original fairy tale, but whatever he gives her, she's able to, like, you know, just, you know, uh, like, teleport through time from his yeah, place. Yeah. So, you know, she doesn't have to make the journey. Yeah, there's a horse in the beginning. I mean, it's it's a little yeah. convoluted. So uh, that there's that version. Then there's the '80s television show with Ron Perlman and 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 you have a connection to that because you said my mom off. loved that show. Yeah, this is more. It's funny how we we end up psychoanalyzing each other. Like you know, <laughs> me growing up with my watching like you know like guy movies because I hung out with my dad watching TV, and then yeah, yeah. you were hanging out with your mom, and like you said, you're watching yeah. like the courtship of Eddie's father. <laughs> Or like, yeah, you know, the, Gidget, the Dallas, and Dallas, Dynasty, Dynasty and, and 21 uh, Jump Street. She loved Beauty and the Beast. And that ran TV for like show. four years or three years. It's like she, 87, like 90 or 91. And it's a, it is still a kind of a cool show because they run, rerun it sometimes. And uh, Lyndall Hamilton, the gist of that is she's a lawyer, I think. In New York City, right? In New York City. And she's walking through... Central Park at night, which, you know, you don't do that, especially in the 80s. Not in the 80s. <laughs> and she gets... She never saw Death Wish. She gets, like, mugged and roughed up pretty bad. And I think it has something to do with some case she's on, if my recollection is. And she's left for dead. Oh. And Vincent, the Beast... Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman. He's part of this subterranean community. Not and, Chud. <laughs> not Chud. But uh, he ends up finding her and brings her back to uh where he lives the lair it's like it's it's very it's ninja whole, turtles right yeah it's like it's underground like very, this whole city subway. and there's father who's uh, this guy who used to be a doctor up and then somehow he ended up going down down underground but there's a whole community on census there they, they communicate by doing like morse code they're, on the but pipes. they're they're like homeless people they're not like versions of the beast right no he's the only one that's like that's has a weird you know like physical thing he's not like, he's not like a joseph merrick though i mean there's no he looks like he's like he looks like a feline yeah like he, a, he looks very like a cat's yeah he looks like a, like a lion so i wonder person. if we ever do that and there's a whole story where the doctor the father like finds him in the sewer somebody th- had thrown him into the sewer or something and finds him as a baby and raises him he's part of the sewer. ooze that got the ninja turtles <laughs> yeah, i think so it's it's you think in the 80s how i guess cats is doing so good on broadway so they're like let's do something cats ish i'm yeah, completely yeah. speculating and uh rick baker did the makeup rick baker's the feature sh- uh, creature shop but what a great idea right to just do like let's hey let's do Beauty and the beast and we'll make it like a like a kind of like a, a rom- like romantic yeah. thingy like a weekly and then they're able to and sustain so she's it. as he's rehabilitating her she's like all wrapped up she's so fucked up that she's all wrapped up so she can't see because she's like all wrapped up, so she doesn't know what he looks like. What he looks like for the entire time. While she's and then finally there's like the she, she, there's the reveal, and it's uh, this crazy. It's love like story. I, it's either beholder in the Twilight Zone. Or it's like- it's, there's like <laughs> this crazy love story where it's like forbidden love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they love each other, and it's not like it's not like this story where he she has to he needs her to fall in love with her. They fall in love with each other. And but are they living separate lives? Like, is he yeah, hanging out down leaves, there and she, she does her lawyer she thing? She leaves and sometimes he'll go up 
like to her balcony. Somehow he scales the building you know. or something. And there's shots of him like riding the top of the subway cars awesome. through the city. All stuff. I remember from it is like aside from them being in it, I remember like a lot of shots of like underground with like like they have like a lot of tapestries hanging and they have like a lot of torches like on. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of like eighties like that. Like it's very the guy gothic. Who wrote the did the theme song to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, the song that you hear ahead of, before every episode, my yes. friend Steve, he has this fascination with, like, underground dwellers. Who doesn't? You know, and so I was like, oh, you got to start watching Beauty and the Beast, man, because it's really, the, the underground stuff is, like, the, the society they've built underground is really cool. And so she ends up getting in a lot of danger because she's a lawyer and she's messing, you know, criminal law. Yeah, so mob she's, in the 80s. She's always, sure. <laughs> she's always getting into danger and he's always showing up and, you know, Wolverine berserking the fuck out on, <laughs> on guys, like, roaring. And, and so Very he, Hulkish. He protects her and... You said uh, Linda Hamilton leaves, right? Now, at some point, Linda Hamilton, I don't know if it's around T2 or... So at some point, she thinks she's too big for this show. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the, she marries when she married Jim Cameron. Yeah, like, but there's also off. this uh, thing where there's their at some point in the series their their love is requited. They have sex. That must have been a big thing. And uh, they have a child. Wow. And of course, you know, government wants the government science wants turns this into ch- the X Files. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much. And they kidnap the child. Oh my gosh! And does uh, the child look like a little beast? I don't does know he come out? You, I'm trying to think if you ever see it. I mean, it's we're talking. I haven't seen this movie. This show. Really, in its entirety years? Yeah. since the late eighties. Yeah. I mean, I saw a couple of episodes here and there when I think Chiller or Sci-Fi were rerunning it years ago. Um, See, when and she dies, spoiler alert: Linda Hamilton dies. That's how they they kill her off the show, and so then it becomes about Vincent trying to find the child, and then there's like some cop, female cop, that comes in. And becomes the new female oh. lead, and I don't know if there's ever uh, like a love connection there, uh, but once like they slept together, then my mom was like, I, I, she loved that show. But the, when did that happen? She's like, the whole point was that this is love that can't be requited. Like that's the romance of it, that they love each other but they can't be together. And once they were together, and then she dies, she's like. I don't want to watch the show anymore. So I don't think I ever even really watched any of those. Well, you said that it's on Prime now. It's on Prime, but I think you might have to pay for it. Because we were thinking if we couldn't if we couldn't fix the tape and then we couldn't get into my sister's bedroom to, to get this, <laughs> this version to watch, we would go back to your house on the bikes. And then we would end up maybe doing the pilot because yeah, yeah. we haven't mentioned this yet, but we're, this is coinciding with the new live-action release of the Disney movie, Being the Beast, that's coming out this weekend. So uh, if we couldn't do the Disney movie, we were thinking, hey, let's maybe do the, yeah, the yeah. old ladies. You know, it'd be up our alley, you know, doing the pilot if it's an hour and a half. Uh, in terms of this movie... Getting back to the movie itself. The Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it's an interesting movie in that I think there's a lot. It's interesting when you look back at these kinds of things and you think about, like, what if I look at this from a slightly different angle? You know, if I take a step, one step left and then I look at it because there's a lot of the thing that's interesting about this movie, which isn't in the Cocteau version. And apparently from what I've heard is not in the original story is that. The Beast is not a dick to her in the original versions of this. Mm. And he's a bit of an asshole to her in this in the beginning. Yeah, he's mad. And so there's a lot of speculation, not speculation, but there's a lot of people that look at this movie and think, like, this is a movie that's not good for kids. It's showing that if you're in an abusive relationship with a guy, that if you stay with him... Oh, my god, <laughs> That you can change him. Yeah. And, and that... And and it's like, your love can change him, and if it doesn't change him, then it's your fault. 
<laughs> you know? Oh my lord! So, it's like it's a cro- it's psychoanalyzing it. So there is like this community of people that look at this movie and be like, "This is about an abusive relationship." Because he's kind of a dick in it. It's it's his and stories. he doesn't ever really threaten her, but it's certainly implied. He's like breaking shit. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a implied, lot of mental. It's employed that it's implied that he would hurt her. It's a it's a lot of mental. Uh, uh, abuse. I know, but it, no, uh, that's what I'm saying. But it's there like, is yeah, yeah, applied applied but, threat. Yeah, but there is. She like, could probably get a restraining order from me <laughs> if, she, if she went to court. You know, he never says like I'm going to tear you up, but he does. It's implied that yeah, he yeah. might. I mean, because from from his aspect, he's supposed to be like a brat, and then you know the whole aspect of this is in, you have a prologue that's done uh, kind of cool with the stained glass windows, and um, what's his face? Who who is the voice of? Um, uh, Cogsworth in this uh, David Ogden stares from MASH uh, he also is th- does the voice of the prologue the narrator and you learn that like an, an evil an old woman comes to the uh, you know they're in a storm and she just wants uh, you know shelter from the elements and he says no get a hell away and she says I'll just give you this rose in return and he says no and then uh, you know she turns into this beautiful girl and he tries to apologize and she it's like fuck you, and she 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 like then curses him to be a beast. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of uh, speculation here because of the clock. People are like, well, it it says in here that he's supposed to. Um, oh God, it's twenty one. If he is twenty one, if he doesn't, the, the the wordage is if you can't find anybody by your by the twenty first year, then you'll remain a beast forever. So if you're minus ten years from there, he's only like ten or twelve years old. They're saying when this happens, but. They're saying no. What it actually is, it's the twenty-first year of after becoming the beast. So that's why you have Chip, who's a kid, because if you know Chip's only six years old at the time, Ch- you know he wouldn't have been able to be born. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so that, Mrs. Potts turning out, yeah. turning out little teacups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, even she's, and she's <laughs> older for her age there. <laughs> even as even as a, as a teapot, yeah, as a teapot, she's, she's, she's you know still, somebody's yeah. giving it to her. Yeah, well, she, she her, it's still warm and stout. And when you look when they go to sleep in the cupboard, there's like fifty of them in there. Yeah, as well as I mean, you know, they're naughty. I mean, she's look at look at uh, what's his face. Uh, uh, Lemire is like trying to get with the uh, the hot little um, maid. Yeah, the, duster. The, the duster there. He's like, oh, you know. Uh, so and then basically our, the, the the plot of this movie is you have this girl named Belle and she's and she goes against the grain uh, for as a Disney stylized woman because usually you know the animators of Disney Disney try to like uh, explain the the, the the Disney style of a woman dates back to like you know the guy the artist Fred Moore Freddie Moore who did like the the females in the 30s and 40s and then we get into this guy named Milt Kahn who did the um, the more angular style of women from the 40s, 50s, and <laughs> 60s, and that's exemplified in Sleeping Beauty. But Ariel and Belle are different because usually you look at a lot of the older girls, they're not, sh- like, you know, Belle and Ariel are strong-willed. Uh, Belle is r- very well-read. She's not a damsel in distress. Yeah. And a lot of the older times, you take, like, Snow White, Cinderella, and even literally in the case of Sleeping Beauty, you know, they're just waiting around something the action or plot comes to them, yeah, yeah. you know, and I think uh, to a certain extent, Wendy from Peter Pan is kind of the same way, you know, they're, they're not a very stylized heroine, you know, in a certain sense, but these are breaking out of the Disney mold with the women. These are active Ariel, but Belle is, she's book smart. She's going against the curve. Everyone's saying she's an oddball because she's <laughs> smart. They try to say like, you know, you're a woman, you're going to want to start thinking, you know, that's the whole, so you have a girl like that, and she wants to break out of like her normal life, and she's dreaming of all this There's other stuff. There's also like all these kinds of theories of like she's an oddball because th- I was reading something where they equate her to a millennial like walking around with their cell phone and not paying attention to the world around. Oh, them. because she 
she's like knocking this stuff like how <laughs> job, good day how was your family she's like see how she's kind of a snot yeah. Because she just walks around with her book and she doesn't really pay attention to anything that's going around or the people that are trying to talk to her in town. <laughs> you know, like, like, hello. You know, and then you you get Gaston's character and Gaston's just basically like a big brute who's like, he's just like, you know, the, 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 the best looking. That was another thing with, uh, that's different from other Disney movies too, is that um, they purposely tried to animate Gaston as, as gorgeous as they could. They have no blemishes, really beautiful, good looking because they want it to be that that's like, don't the, one of the themes of the movie is don't judge a book by its cover. You know, uh, the beast is ugly, but he's got a heart of gold. Yeah. If you get past it, which Gaston's, a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is like another, uh, thing people like the, you know, the moral of the story is that if you're ugly, you can't be happy. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> which, you know, you know me, I, I'm, I, I'm never happy, you know? Uh, and then, which by the way, if I was Gaston, I mean, those three blonde chicks, I, exactly, <laughs> you know, I mean, those I would have been perfect. Like, I wouldn't even think about Bill. I'd yeah. like, these three hot chicks, these three hot blonde yeah, chicks. Yeah, is like, hey, 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 Gaston, you can have three of these broads. Yeah, they're all over. You can do whatever the hell you want with them. I mean, this is kind of, in the old days, that'd be exciting. Um, and then I was talking to you about the similarities I've always saw growing up between Gaston and you go back to we were talking about one of the earlier movies they did Disney in 1949 they released The Adventures of Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad yeah. um, the lead guy is the artist who drew Gaston Andres Dejay he says that he had on his uh, up in his office he had Milt Kahn's drawings yeah. of uh, Ichabod Crane and, and uh, that story the Ichabod Crane well, it's story it's funny because I remember hollow. I remember you th- saying to me like you there's this thing and I think you should, be, should you should look at it because I see similarities. And then when we were watching it, uh, it reminded me, as I'm watching it, I remembered that because I was thinking that while we too. were watching it that yeah. there are a lot of similarities between this and the, Sle- and the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I think people have seen the Ichabod Crane version from 1949. It's, if it's, you haven't, you should. I yeah. mean, it's, to, be, to me, that's probably one of my fondest yeah. nostalgic yeah, yeah, Disney Yeah, because they run a lot. That. In, in the, they run that a lot in the 80s. And it was I was always video. very into the Legend of Sleepy Hollow story. Um, so I have a lot of really, I'm very nostalgic for yeah, that. It's, so it's scary. Too. Even the, ex, even like him as the teacher, like he walking through the town. Yeah. With his face in the book is a lot, is very bell in the beginning of this and movie. And it's in the, uh, to me, I, I find a lot of similarities in the layout of the town, the animation. The antagonist is very much like yeah, Gaston. I think his name's Brom Bones. He's very Gaston. He wants the girl. There's a fight over the girl. Um, that the, the Mr. Toad thing I can really take or leave that, yeah. that aspect of the movie and we had you had at the time um, Basil Rathbone he, he did the voiceover for the for the Mr. Toad and then you had Bing Crosby do a great voiceover with some songs for this Bob Crane thing yeah, yeah. and he narrates the whole the whole thing so if you haven't seen it you should check it out I'm sure people have maybe seen it I mean that's what basically Tim Burton ends up ends up doing the Legend of Sleepy Hollow his movie Sleeping yeah. Sleepy Hollow on uh but then also with that, there's other similarities to me. Like the, near the end, when Gaston's r- like riling the town up to go, like kill the beast, the the, the villagers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, in, in, at one point in the pub in the uh, Ichabod Crane version, he starts telling everybody the, the the legend of Sleepy Hollow and what happened, the headless horseman. Yeah. So when he's telling the story, it's a real groovy uh, swinging Bing, Cro- <laughs> uh, Bing Crosby song. It's really awesome. Yeah, uh, it's very similar. Very similar. Piece. Yeah, where yeah. he's like waving his hand and doing all this stuff, and then even to the point where af- after that. Uh, Ichabob Crane is going back on his horse back home and he has to go through the woods and he gets kind of freaked out and scared and his mind's playing tricks on him not to quote uh, freaking the ghetto boys and 
it's very much like her father in this movie, Belle, Maurice's, when he's getting lost, going down. Remember that there's that funny moment with yeah. the horse where you want to go down this way or this way? And the horse is like, I want to go this way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. he takes him down like the shortcut, and that yeah, kind of gets yeah. him all into trouble. So I, 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 on my own, have always found similarities. Then when I was reading the other book in, in preparation for this, the guy said he had Milt Kahn's drawings up. And I was like, oh, then there has to be some more of just a... You know, I, they, sure. at some point they had to have a meeting and say, hey, let's base some of the, the stuff we did on this movie in 49 with the stuff we did here. Yeah. Um, so then, they, so originally they, 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 they grab a director named Richard uh, Burdum to, to, to try to do an, uh, a version of it. And he gets on and he writes out of England. He's kind of hot at the time. He does a non-musical version of the movie. And they start kicking this around for a while. And then I think very quickly, Jeffrey Katzenberger and um, Michael Eisner's like, this is too dark for kids. Yeah. You know, this, you're, you're going really dark. There's scenes where, like, the, the, the beast is, like, killing wolves and drink, dragging back, like, carcasses. There's, it's not a musical. And they're like, we want, you know, um, Little Mermaid was just huge. We have these guys signed on. So that's when they bring in uh, Howard Ashman and, and Alan Menken to do a score. And that's when they bring a lot of the ideas into town um the lyr- the lyricist uh howard ashman it gets the idea of hey there's a lot of uh plot ideas they couldn't figure out how to get past and his idea was hey to further the plot and to have some funny things going let's like you're saying from the cocteau version let's have a lot of the servants become in it uh the the objects and that could yeah, be yeah. F- funny it can further plot so they end up fleshing out a lot of good things. They, they end up almost like from the Wizard of Oz with the hourglass. They say, let's take the rose and make the rose be a clock. And, you know, yeah. you, you have to have this by the last petal falling. So after a little while, the, the, the original director, Richard uh, Bur- uh, Bundam, he kind of signs. He's like, this is not the movie I wanted to make. I want to do a serious one. So he bows out. They go to another people. I think the guys who just did Little Mermaid or maybe the guys who did um, – who framed Roger Rabbit? And they were like, no, we're too exhausted. So they end up getting the, the guys, they end up, um, which is uh, Gary Towsdale and Kirk Wise to co-direct the movie. And uh, that's when they end up taking a very musical turn with it. Yeah. And they end up having, a, you know, a lot of very uh, heavy, you know, coming up with songs. And they, they flesh out a bunch of songs like Be Our Guest and the song Bell at the Beginning and all that kind of thing. And, and Howard Ashman's, it was his idea. He wanted to have a prologue at the beginning of showing how the beast became this way and they didn't want it. So they finally, they fought and they, I think the middle ground was to have that prologue with the stained glass. Yeah. And, um, you know, up until this time too, it's funny enough, the Disney movies, they never had scripts. They always had storyboards and and it was always Walt going back to the old days. He was the ultimate pitchman and they would have a whole room filled with just storyboards and you'd have to follow the index cards and that's how you tell the story through storyboards and it's a very important part of animating. So I think this was the first movie after Beauty and the Beast that that Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg said, listen, we need a script. So this is the first Disney movie they actually, for an animated movie, they wrote a script for it, and they had yeah. a script for it. Um, and that was a big thing. And then, like we said before, Rescuers Down Under had just used a system called CAPS. And basically what CAPS is, is what we just said, uh, is what Ebb had invented, what, 50 or 55 years prior. And that's basically a system. Caps means computer animated production system, and it's much like when we in the in the black hole podcast we talked about Disney inventing technology for the black hole. Yeah, yeah. Disney 
invested when they were going through this renaissance period they were looking for things to, re, to they wanted to try to get the artists excited they wanted to also move away from that era of using the uh, xerox kind of technology and make it look as sharp as the old days with sleeping beauty and how beautiful that stuff looked and leading yeah. the tramp so they invest in this little company called pixar and pixar at the time was only doing like i think like um um Listerine commercials, you know, Listerine, you've met your match, and it looks like a 3D image of like a, <laughs> yeah, a sword yeah. swallowing. So they they uh, they invest in Pixar, and Pixar has this this thing called the computer uh, animation production system, and they use it for the rescuers down under. And they didn't even do a short yet. They're like, fuck it, we're gonna they're gonna really. It's like really taking a uh, a step into the unknown, making a, using a whole movie to utilize it. And basically, what Caps does, it's this new way of after you draw the cell. They make obsolete everyone just painting the cell per cell like with you you take that what you drew you upload it into the computer and then that way you're able to digitally add color and you're able to do all the compositions digitally as opposed to using this multiplying camera system before like we said with optical printing Mm -hmm. so the cap system then makes you be able to have all these elements and you're able to bring all these composites together for these smoother transitions. An example by that, like we said, is the ballroom sequence where they're able to do this. They didn't even think they'd be able to do a ballroom sequence. So at the last minute, they were like, we have this idea of doing this big dance in the ballroom. And they're like, well, if it looks good, we'll use it. But if not, we'll just maybe just do a sequence, like I guess they call them Broadway, like just the the, the, the center light effect or something where yeah, you just yeah. have it be in black and they dance. But it ended up working. Yeah. And it's just, it's hard to explain, but I don't know how you'd explain it. Like, it's just you're able to move a camera it's uh, you know through that, a 3D. to me it just looked like in that instance it just gave them a cha- uh, the opportunity to do like these big sweeping camera moves in an in like a 3D yeah, kind of a like in a space yeah. as opposed to having to sit there and draw every frame you kind of it about, it looked, appeared to me that they created this room yeah. in the computer and then they were allowed they were allowed them to have freedom of how they shot it and yeah. so they man- man- managed to be able to have like you know, smooth mo- camera movement for lack of, you know, to put it just in film terms, obviously that's not the case in, in reality, technically but wise, but it was another instance of trying to use standard live action cinema language and translating it to animation yeah. and, and being able to bridge that gap. Yeah, I think another example is it is the first shot I spoke of before when you first see the castle and that's something that they would very much in like Snow White with the multi plane system yeah the camera where you you go by in the foreground you pass the forest you go like and there's a waterfall there mm-hmm. you know that's a great example of this technology and they used it on rescuers down under but that didn't do well and they kind of pioneered it here and then you know that goes on to be like toy story the complete technology you see that in fruition there yeah. and that really helped revolutionize this movie and that really got an excitement you're able to do a lot uh, more intricate colors they weren't able to do before because it's all digital now. So it really added, like I guess, kind of like a uh, a fire in the belly to be able to have yeah, this movie yeah. be something new. Um, they, they talk about, like, say, Be Our Guest was first written to be done for the father when he gets into the castle, but then they kind of came up like, well, why, why are we doing this all to the father, Maurice? Why don't we do it to Belle when she gets there? Because they wanted it. So they switched that around. Uh, they had some deleted scenes they cut out where it was like they were going to go to the an asylum to try to like get Bell's father committed, but they realized that was a little too dark. So they instead have the the man from the, the lunatic asylum played by Tony J. He comes to them, yeah. And evidently they only used like Tony J. Audition for it, and he did two different takes. 
and they just use those for his his audition takes for the, <laughs> for the lines. And he ends up becoming Frollo in um, uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, as well as he uh, in the early '90s is on Tailspin. He's the Scar Baloo, and he's also in your show Lois and Clark. He is um, what's his face? His right hand man, Lex Luthor's. He's the oh yeah yeah that's yeah. that's Tony J. He ended up dying, I think, in the mid two thousands mm-hmm. as that voice. And I always find him very scary. That guy because it gets real dark at yeah. that point. She, you know, I mean, there's a lot of like really dark elements in this movie. Like you know, like at the beginning we see Gaston killing the goose on sure. you know. Then we see they're gonna get the guy committed. Well, it's funny before we re- we started recording, I alluded, I kind of was telling you, I I've recently not re- yesterday. Mm. Out of pure pure coincidence, I watched a movie, a movie that both of us have a fondness for. It's a dark movie. And watching this today, there's some very, there's some like definite parallels, which is uh, William Wyler's The Collector. <laughs> with, um, what's his face? <laughs> with uh, Terrence Stamp. With Terrence Stamp. And it's about a guy who, it's based off a book by John, I think his name is John uh, Foliger, Follies, and it, yeah. And it's about a guy who's he's kind of an outsider and he he uh, he ends up winning some football pool. So he wins and becomes independently wealthy all of a sudden. So he doesn't have to work at the bank with all these assholes. And he's always been fixated with this one girl and he kidnaps her and he buys this house. I mean, he finds this weird cellar and he buys the house and he does the cellar so that somebody could live there, kidnaps her and puts her in the cellar and basically collects her. And the idea is he's going to keep her there until she falls in love with him. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of the plot of this movie, and it ends. And then up- there's this parallel where he he uh, he collects uh, bu- butterflies and does displays where he pins them in frames them and stuff. And so there's this kind of parallel of like he collected her and he collects these butterflies. And it's a it's a really marvelous movie with amazing performances. And the the, the freaky thing is that the book ends up being in every uh, serial killer's library when they go like find out a serial killer this book is the collector's always in their libraries yeah they own this book and I own the book and then it's it's another <laughs> example of you, know, you and your uh, our mutual friend used to say if I my house ever got raided all the crazy books I have in there <laughs> yeah, he said, you know, God you better hope that Dion's never a suspect in a murder because if they went into his house and they saw all like, these crazy he, he owns the entire like serial killer book collection. yeah all these different things and like you know, all these narcissist <laughs> books and stuff but uh yeah, so it's, you know... It's and that's right. That, that It is an awful, crazy parallel because I don't want to give away the ending of the movie, but it's uh, of that movie, The Collector, but it's quite shocking. But it just shows you that he's not nearly done doing what he's going to be doing. Yeah, yeah, but the, this very idea much, of, yeah. like, I'm going to keep you here so that you will fall in love with me. Yeah. Uh, that's it, what, that even goes back to the fairy tale. Because yeah. the fairy tale is like, you know, that's every, will you marry me every night he's saying that to her, you yeah, know? Yeah, Well, that's the idea to break the spell. Uh, you know... It's funny because I alluded to that there's this, uh, you know, faction of of people that kind of look at this in in a negative light of being like, this means if you're ugly, you can't be happy. She's in an abusive relationship. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's telling people that if you love somebody enough, they can change, (laughs) you know, when when they're abusive. But there are also apparently there's these websites where if you're a teacher and you create a lesson plan, you can upload your lesson plan to this, these websites and other teachers can use your lesson plan. And so apparently there's all these lesson plans that teachers have created, which are like things like 
sex and racism in Disney films. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> they always got to ruin it for everybody. And, and you got a hold of some of these lessons plans? I was, if, if, I, if he had to open an account, I was tempted. If I could just download it, I was going to get it so, so, that we could, so that we could look at like what the things they talk I about. Wonder what, what, I wonder what, not to get down a rabbit hole, but I wonder what, y- what years they're going for there to people. I don't know, but oh, I think from what I read, you know, the less like, for instance, sexism and racism in Disney films covers it's no, I mean, I mean, what age group are they? It's 11 to 16. Oh, my God. So you're ruining Disney for these for these kids before they're even. I mean, that's one thing if you're teaching that in college. But it is an interesting I think a lot of adults that would watch this movie. Uh, for instance, a, a friend of ours, I was told them that we we're going to do this movie. And they said, oh, and when I saw that movie, my friend, that was his reaction. was like, when they walked out of this movie, his reaction was, uh, this girl's friend's reaction was like, this just tells you that if, you know, if a guy treats you horrible, like, stay with him and it'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting way to take it, certainly. You know, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, to especially kind of, the uh, the the the, uh, the mental abuse aspect, yeah, and the physical. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's an argument to be made because she she leaves because she's scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she, she, she's, she's like, this, this is getting too fucking <laughs> crazy for me. Because she goes and she's gonna look. She wants to look at the so roles. all so the, like, what the fuck are you doing? All the because uh, she's like, you didn't listen to me. I told you not to come here. <laughs> but I mean, does that mean like all the like uh, the uh, those guys are enablers? I guess, <laughs> like you know, Codsworth yeah, you know, and you know uh, Lumiere. Yeah, I guess. And you know? well, they're all afraid of him too. Oh yeah, of course. You know, he's got so, a temper. Uh, now the uh, the uh, the uh, the other side of the argument is that she's not into him when he's being a dick, and that's not till one he saves her life, and but two when he starts being respectful to her, does she start to warm up to him? Yeah. So that's like the other side of the argument. Like it's not an about like when he's being abusive, she's about she's leaves. Yeah. And it's not until he starts being respectful of her and stops being abusive that she starts to say, okay, I'll stay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's well, the I guess way it's of looking it, at... Yeah, you it's know, also it's teaching I, you, you don't get things from being physically violent or whatever, or, like, yeah. or these shouting matches. So there's the two sides of that argument. Like I said, it's interesting to take one step to the left yeah. and one step to the right or just just take a different peer, peer at, take a look at it from a different yeah, angle. Turn it slightly <laughs> askew. And see what, see what happens. Um, <laughs> it, it certainly, sh- I mean, it, I think their their aspect is that he's you know he's a brat and then you know yeah, yeah. he needs to be taught the ways of the world you know and then that is interesting then you look at it I from do that. think like the fairy that changes him into that oh, at the beginning yeah yes yeah. you know okay it's one thing you're teaching him a lesson but you got to punish everybody else that lives in the, the, the everybody <laughs> else yeah I mean there's thousands of people that the lives that they're affecting which is it's it's terrible um that it's yeah, and well, and then yeah, and this woman's going around dressing up as old lady. That's entrapment. <laughs> testing people. T- testing people. I mean, to this day, because she turns into this most beautiful woman ever, and then he's like, "I'm sorry, I didn't really." And he's like, "But I guess it's because it's the vanity issue, like yeah, yeah. that, you know." Uh, they quickly, when they're developing the the, the book, uh, the the script version of this, they get rid of the, the the sister, the aspects of the fairy tale that we talked about because I think they think it's too close to Cinderella, and then we, you know, go trotting on the same ground that's why they yeah. kind of make Gaston as the character and they come up with the the animate the and the inanimate objects and you get the great Jerry Orbach playing uh Lemire who's they, it's just a send up to uh Maurice Chavalier Maurice Chavalier 
why can't I say Chevalier? Maurice Chevalier from Gigi, and there's also ev- evidently a lot of similarities between this and Gigi. Yeah. You know, if you go watch the the, the, the musical Gigi, you know, God bless little girls, and, and, and that, that where there's a guy trying to get Gigi and all this stuff, and, you know, I think he even pays homage. He says something that's that's a line out of Gigi in the BR guest scene, and there's even uh, Esther Williams when they're doing, like, all her swimming yeah. with all that kind of stuff, references. Cogsworth, we said, is uh, what's-his-face from a MASH. He does a, a really good job in that. It's interesting because I read that he they originally they wrote that character for John Cleese and he yeah. turned it down. Yeah, because they were basing it on faulty, uh, John Cleese from Faulty Towers, and uh, there was another uh, reference there. And he, yeah, and John Cleese didn't want it. But I found that uh, it, to me it was whoever the guy that plays Cogworth to me was just doing like a Rodney Dowling. Not Rodney McDowell impression. <laughs> he was very much, yeah, like a very, like, you very, know. Like, the, even the quality of his voice. Like, I was like, it's in my head. I was like, that sounds like Rodney McDowell. <laughs> Is that Rodney McDowell? But it yeah, ended up not being Rodney McDowell. The, the, uh, and, uh, yeah, he's just the uptight kind of a guy, uh, you know, being all into, you know, uh, restriction. I mean, it's, you know, I, I guess that you look at, like, what they had him end up being as. And, the, you know, they talk about the animation aspects that how do you – take like a candelabra and animate that or, or a, a clock, a wooden clock. And, yeah. and then they reference Frank Thomas from Frank and Ollie. Uh, he did the Alice in Wonderland, the doorknob. Uh, in Dave it. Thomas. Uh, Dave, yeah, Dave <laughs> Thomas of, of the Wendy's fame. And not Bob Thomas, the, the writer of the book I just said, did these art and animation. Uh, Dave Thomas did the uh, animation, Frank Thomas did the animation for the, 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 the doorknob from Alice in Wonderland. And they use that as an example where that's a brass... Um, doorknob but it looks like everything it can do so they try to they kind of use that as like inspiration like and trying to get these things to move uh you know and then then another thing with the the cap system too is that there's always been a traditional friction between animators and then the cleanup artists because the animators were very worried that the cleanup artists would then come in clean up their drawings and like redo their drawings and this cap system kind of alleviated that where now you have them working together, and then when you, you put it into the computer, the computer kind of does this kind of thing, yeah. which is nice. So it, it alleviates that kind of fix, uh, friction between them. Um, this, and like I said, they only had two years to do this, so near the end they were really rushing to, to get this stuff out in time. Uh, they were thinking of like doing the end, the finale, when they're on the roof with Gaston, to, to do the, that be 3D, the, the rooftop, but then they were thinking that that might be go, going a little overboard and they didn't know if they can, it would look as good as... Yeah. animating it now when you get to i know i'm jumping to the end but when you get to the end there with um gaston there is this thing that it was going to be a lot darker where gaston was actually going to stab him twice and then realize that he couldn't get bell he was going to commit suicide jump off laughing yeah but then they realized well this is too dark i also heard that it was going to have a where like he survives the fall and then he gets eaten alive gets by, the eaten by the wolves yeah. and then they recycle then that like, idea to scar in at the end of Lion King. King, yeah, exactly. And they're like, "This is too dark because we'll that's that the reason." <laughs> yeah, that's the reason why I guess they say initially that he goes out on like that flying buttress. He's yeah. up there. He's like the, he was gonna, you know. And then if you look when he another thing I never realized, I freeze frame that shit. Yeah, you could see he had when he falls off uh, to his death. He has two skulls in his pupils, but then they got rid of it when they went to VHS. I don't know why. They thought it's too dark. But then after that, they never corrected it since then. So I don't know why they would, you know, uh, worry about it then. But yeah. so you have that happen. Um, we were talking about the different other people playing. We have Angela Lansbury. She's awesome in it. 
She took a, she originated the character of the maid from uh, Sweeney Todd. She took elements of that. And then another character from Upstairs, Downstairs, that show. And of course, Maturing Candidate. And Maturing Candidate as well. <laughs> and a little Gaslight in there for good measure. She's very young in Gaslight. And they bring that all in there. And they did an old school way of recording was they would record the singers with the orchestra at the same time as opposed to doing it separately so that they had yeah. like the feeling of a more grandiose thing, which I think it works really cool that it... It has a little more of a, a warmness sure, to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, they had a song. I th- was it a human again? They were going to have in it, but then they realized that for various reasons that they didn't. Th- th- there's a, a timeline in there that that they didn't want to address because of the script changes. So they ended up in some other issues. So they ended up deleting that, and they wrote I think something else. I think it's called. They replaced it, the original song was human again. And then they, they replaced it with something there. And then what they end up doing is in the 2002 release, yeah, is for they IMAX. for IMAX, they ended up adding that song Human Again back in and animating that sequence. Yeah. Getting that back in there. So you have, they retool it for that. And then we get this guy, Alan uh, or Howard Ashman, who's, uh, they realize while they're doing this is that he says he has AIDS and he's dying. And it gets very sad because he ends up literally finishing his work on this movie. And then he, he really is struck by the complications of the disease. And they do something they've never done before, Disney, here with this. Is they take this unfinished because they want to gin up some sort of publicity. They take the unfinished work to the New York Film Festival uh, in 1991. And they show it in, a, in an unfinished work in progress rough cut form. And it gets a, like a 10 minute standing ovation. And then they go back to the hospital room to tell him, and he's really near death. And they're like, you know, it's very sad. And they explain, hey, you know, um, he's a lyricist, Howard Ashman. He's like, it did well. It's going to do good. And then he ends up dying, like, shortly after. And he never gets to see the finished product it done. So that's all very sad. And yeah. his work ends up going on. He did a lot of stuff for Aladdin. Uh, and then they end up getting somebody else to help fill out Aladdin uh, afterward like that. Um, this ends up having... A sequel, which I really actually loved. It was a direct-to-video called uh, Beauty and the Beast and the Chanted Christmas. But it, it, that there's two sequels, that and Belle's Magic World, and they don't really do as well. They're kind of panned. But the second one is actually quite cool. It's almost on the level of grandeur as this with the, t- with the effects. Yeah. You know, it's really nice. Um, th- there's a, vil- a very cool villain in it, voiced by Paul Rubens, this big... Uh, organ that's like connected to the wall like a very like high like church organ and he's the villain in it like he doesn't want if i remember correctly the theme of the movie he doesn't want the, the, them to come it takes place because this beauty and the beast takes place from the fall to the spring so the sequel uh the enchanted christmas takes place the, the christmas while they're there yeah and it's about like he doesn't want them to turn back to the servants into their human form because then he would lose his power as this organ, you know, you know, it's very, it's very cool, but it was panned by audiences that, I mean, they didn't really like it as much. I'm just trying to think if we have anything else that we hinted that there was a Jackie Chan connection. Yeah. So the Jackie Chan connection is that when they ended up doing the, um, I think it's the Mandarin uh, version of it. He voiced the beast and sang the songs for the Jack. Lots of people don't realize that Jackie actually has like a hit music career in China. Well, I mean, he go his. And we we said it before. People who are in the know know he's as early he shows up in Enter the Dragon. But and people forget Cannonball Run. He's one of the big stars of yeah, Cannonball Run. But I think even people that are fans of his movies don't even realize don't necessarily realize that he has a big music career. Yeah, as a singer, as a pop singer in China. That's pretty. That's pretty uh, uh, amazing. That's like the girl who on. Um, I wish I wish that was on the Blu-ray. 
I don't. I didn't see a Mandarin. The, a Chinese. I wonder if there's. There must be a. Oh, like a a, a language. You would have. I know you. You would have tried to have us freaking watch it in the. <laughs> Let's like, watch the Mandarin I'm with subtitles. I'm not watching it. Like you know, like uh, gee, I I, as soon as they got past, like uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, you know, she uh, how ma? It's like I don't know. After they're saying like you know, um, we we don't know. We we can't get past anything else. Yeah, that would have been hard to watch. That well, Robbie been. Benson did the voice, and uh, Rob, I don't know how many people remember Robbie Benson, but Robbie Benson was a young actor, popular in the '80s. Yeah. Um, I don't know what ever happened to Robbie Benson. And it's funny because reading this book I read prior to this, t- they they talk about the animators and as well as they talk about him. And they're like, the animators are like, uh, Benson's like, at 33, he's doing, a, you know, as old as he is, he's doing, a, you know, he's still doing a great career. The animators like, I realized I was the oldest one at 35 in the room and all these young animators, you know, and I'm like, yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. It's like, <laughs> it's really even back then it's dating you how, um, yeah. you know how bad it is it's like yeah. you know we, we're, we're getting to feel old but I, I don't know what happened to him yeah but he was i mean you, he was in a lot of movies in the 80s I mean, he was like a big kind of a big star i mean he was a child actor too and he did a lot started of, pretty young yeah there's a movie i wish i could remember the name of it but there's a very good movie uh which is uh it's about uh two jewish kids that become one's like uh hasidic and one's you know, some other kind of faction of Judaism. Judaism. Yeah. And they become friends. It's based on a play. Uh, I forget, I forget what it's called, but he's in that. It's, it's a, he was a good guy. He was a talented actor and a good looking kid. Yeah. yeah. And he, and it's a, it's an exceptional voice role of, for voice yeah, he work. Does you know, a great job. And clearly they, they all, they must alter. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, but the, still his performance as a voice actor in the movie is great. Same um, with uh, Paige O'Hara, who was a Broadway actress. Yeah, she plays Belle. At first, they, they're thinking of getting the girl who played uh, Ariel back to do it, and then they realized, no, they wanted something a little different where Ariel was a little more of a traditional. They wanted, like, more of a, I guess, a Broadway traditional, like, American girl, and that's where they get this Well, they, they also said that, you know, the girl, the person that did Ariel, Ariel was more of a girl. Yeah. And they wanted someone that had a slightly more mature voice. Because, b- believe it or not... Uh, She's supposed to be 15, uh, Belle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like right in the age of becoming an adult, you know, yeah, you know. And then so I guess you wanted to have that level of kind of maturity, you know, of being able to convey these scenes in a certain way and have the, you know, that that idea going. Um, they take uh, the guy, Glenn Kane, who, who uh, animated the Beast, he based elements off of like a gorilla a buffalo a wolf yeah most uh, most interpretations of the the beasts are, are very like lion-esque uh feline yeah type thing and there's certainly a little bit of that going on in this one but it's an interesting it's like kind of more of like with the backbone like a buffalo kind of yeah, like the profile it was, it's an interesting to see like all these and the, the, and the hind legs or, the gorilla and the horns and yeah you can kind of see when they there's charts and stuff. Maybe we can find one and post it on the site where they kind of point at like this was the buffalo, this was the monkey, the gorilla, this yeah, you know, oh, sure. the, the po- aspects of the beast. Yeah, pointing out different aspects of the beast and what the inspiration was, I mean, animal wise. And if you get into the real like uh, the weeds of this, like the guy like Glenn Crane, you look at he he did um, he animated like the bear fight and fox of the hound. He did Radigan and the Great Mouse Detective. So you could see which 
people have strengths for what and who yeah. they assign things to. So that's pretty cool. And I think they do a phenomenal vo version uh, voice talent-wise. Like, I love Jerry Orbach as Lemire and it, you know. Uh, like I said before, he says he's doing a, a Maurice Chevalier kind of a kind of a thing there, and that they kind of like want it. It's it's it, you always think about like uh, again for Great Mouse Detective, they wanted like a Ronald Coleman esque voice for Radigan, and they're like, well, let's get Vincent Price, and you know, and then you know, yeah. Vincent. Pr so you kind of they have an idea of a voice, even if the guy's dead, like a Peter Laurie, and they get somebody to do something close to that. Sure, you know, that's uh, interesting. And then this movie ends up being uh, the first and only movie to be nominated for best picture it wins a golden globe for best picture and then it's nominated well, it, for best picture golden globes have Oscar, categories yeah so golden globes wins for best comedy musical in the comedy musical category for best picture and this is it's nominated for an oscar for best picture and it's the only animated film to be nominated for best picture because they end up breaking up the category and yeah it wasn't until after this that they created an animated. animated feature category which i don't agree with. yeah which you talk about in another <laughs> cast you, 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 i don't agree with that yeah it should be and that was the thing with walt when walt lost to snow white but they gave him an honorary award he's like this is fine and good like, like shirley temple i think gives him the honorary yeah. award and he's like that's great but it should and be judged like, against sure you know that's it's a sweet award though because it's it's the oscar and then there's seven little oscars yeah yeah the first, first snow white yeah and then like shirley temple's like wow Walt, this is fucking <laughs> great and he's like i guess so it is uh yeah so and then also it wins like 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 three songs and it. it's like be our guest i think bell which is the opening song and then like something new is nominated and then I don't know if one of them wins. Maybe this. I don't know if one of them wins. Uh, maybe be our guest wins or or uh, tale as old as time. But they also then after this too, the, the Oscars put a rule that no more than two songs I think per film can be nominated because if they all lose, you know, they're, they're, you're losing a chance to other people to get yeah, in. You know yeah. what I mean? So they they end up putting a lot of. Um, uh, you know, lot, like they end up changing a lot of rules after being the beast because it kind of goes into uncharted territory. Uh, and we were talking about real painters before. I guess if you're a, a, a big art uh, aficionado and a lot of the wide shots, there are a lot of like Rembrandts and, and uh, like uh, Goya's. There's a lot of art, original art that's visible in his castle, the beast castle. Yeah. And I think in the West Wing, when she first goes into the West Wing, there's different sculptures of beasts. And I think they say those are the various interpretations they had working up to the beast that they ultimately ended up yeah. making so um it ends up coming out and it ends up making like a crap load of freaking money it comes out in um 92 or is it 91 it comes out in november 91 and it the budget's 25 million it ends up making 425 million so it, what is that 17 times the 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 uh the budget or something like that it, it doesn't do math i don't know what this mathematicians <laughs> uh mathematician so it ends up doing a crap load of money and uh, it really solidifies and then it becomes the standard for a sense where um you know they end up doing a they 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 it's the first one they put to a broadway musical they adapt it and it becomes like you know and i think it without the success of this you wouldn't have had the look that disney then goes on to do with aladdin and lion king certainly with the yeah. you know the, the the visual look with the with the computer animation this sure. the, you know the thing like that um jesus there's like oh almost like three thousand uh thirteen hundred background paintings and there's over a hundred twenty thousand drawings in this so it's it's very meticulous it's you know uh what if game they had Do donny osmond and patrick swayze auditioning for the beast uh they were like we said about um, back then osmond was 
doing Broadway, like te- Joseph and the Techno Color Dreamcoat. And he ends up playing Gaston on the stage at the stage version, yeah. Donny Osmond of, of the Beauty and the Beast. Um, we said Jackie Chan doing the voice for Mandarin dub. Uh, they were looking to get maybe Julie Andrews to play Mrs. Cogsworth instead of Angela Lansbury. Mrs. I said Mrs. Cogsworth. Yeah, Mrs. Potts. I'm sorry. Uh, and then let's see. What else do we have here? Any other what ifs? Uh, you said John Cleese, but then John Cleese, he turned it down. I don't know what, what the hell John Cleese was doing at the time that he turned it down. Yeah, I don't want to do that. He's like, I don't want to do some Disney movie. Uh, <laughs> Patrick Stewart at the time that he was going to be Cogsworth, but he had too, supposedly too many uh, scheduling conflicts with Next Generation, yeah. so he couldn't do it. So, And then uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Val Kilmer, and Mandy Potemkin were also considered supposedly for The Beast. Which is I interesting. Do. I like Manny Potemkin. Now you love Manny Potemkin. You Big saw Man. him. You saw him live. I saw him live. Yeah. Yeah. He would have probably would have had to add a number for Manny Potemkin to sing if they were going to do a Manny Potemkin. Um, he doesn't, Beast doesn't really sing in the movie, right? He does. Hey, I looked this way. Oh yeah. I, guess. I saw her before. <laughs> it touched my paw. What is something more before? I, That's right. I, I spoke an error before. I said Paul Rubens was the villain in the. Um, uh, Enchanted Christmas, he plays actually like another inanimate object. Tim Curry's the villain, and he's the organ in the other movie. But the reason I bring it up is because they considered him being the voice of the beast in this movie. But I don't know. He, he was beat out, but he ends up being in the second one. And then evidently there's a direct. I didn't know this. There's director cameos and artist cameos in every... If, if you're really into the weeds in these movies, that, that they put themselves in it. Huh. And in... Uh, this movie, the director's cameos, the two guys are at the part at the beginning in the bell when she's in the bookshop and there's three guys that are looking and I forget what lines they deliver about how odd she is when she walks out of the bookstore. They're in between a small guy and the guys in the ends are the director's cameos for the, how they draw themselves in. So, um, yeah, that's basically it. Like we said, it was nominated. Uh, his real name is Prince Adam. I don't think they say that in the movie, but I think it's either told in the video game or... Um, I don't know, maybe in subsequent sequels or whatever the hell like that. Uh, we talked about Gaston's supposed suicide. And uh, that's about it, I guess. That's about all she wrote, kids. That's about all she wrote there. This this very long and arduous uh, process of, uh, of doing this. Beauty and the Beast. Uh, so if you look at this, there is a lot of uh, homages to like Bambi and to a, a lot of others. So I think it is cool that they take... Like you said, how amazing something like Sleeping Beauty looks, and a lot of those yeah. '50s prior well, it was movies. Just the art design, like the yeah. background design, was was atypical for Disney. It's very it got like, it got more like angular. Yeah, and it's very it's a very beautiful movie to look at. And then yeah. the dragon sequence in Sleeping Beauty is very cool. Sleeping Beauty is it's uh, it's one I didn't see as as a kid. So watching as an adult and and having developing an appreciation for uh, visual art and animation art as a as a visual art form it's a it's a it's a stunner i think if at. people aren't into disney i think it's something you should check out if you're uh, or i mean i mean maybe if you're into it but you haven't seen a lot of them i mean especially the early ones we talked about like from snow white through sleeping beauty or even lady and the tramp i think they're just such great examples of them trying to outdo themselves in different formats and each time they're trying yeah. to break away and do something new to, to so it's not just the same thing and certainly during those years of like when they're using the um, the uh, copy machine, the, the xenography, what do you call that? Xerox. Yeah. You can kind of see. I've always felt like 
after 101 Dalmatians all those years, it does look a little messy. It's really weird. It doesn't look as like uh, sharp, yeah. a lot of the animation, and it's because they were using that kind of. So that was another allure to bring back, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It's nice to have it back. And then the color aspect, they're able to get these sharp colors. You know, Belle's the only one that wears blue in the movie, and they want to show that she's kind of pure, and Gaston wears red. And the Beast wears red at first with the red cape, but then as you said, as, as he stops being like a womanizer and a beer, <laughs> he takes the cape off. He doesn't wear the red cape anymore, you know, so there's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of color. You know, they use a lot of colors in that, which is kind of cool in this, you know. So um, the... Uh, animation backgrounds of the I mean you were talking about the if you look you can see the artwork and stuff yeah but just like the castle itself as just as it itself being visually I, I thought it was really beautiful yeah the way they the background yeah the, the background and stuff. and stuff is 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 very nice the whole like even uh like even the sequences you know of the I love of her, t- her little French village you know, with, yeah. with like, the pubs and stuff like that. I love, like, it's some place, like, I like to move to and just hang out. Like, there's a local pub. There's a butcher. There's a, you know, a baker. It's like, I like there's a, a candlestick There's maker. a candlestick <laughs> maker, you know. I love all that. Like, the, just the simplicity of stuff like that. Uh, that's all very fun. But it's all, yeah, it's all really gorgeous. And, you know, I I think they wanted to try to maybe even use CGI on the wolf sequence, too, when, when the wolves attack and sure. the beast. But they, I, they were very hesitant because they didn't think it could work. And the only thing they ended up using it for really was the ballroom sequence, which paid off. But yeah, yeah. it would have been interesting to see if they had gone balls out like they did in Rescuers Down Under. Balls out. Ball, go ball. Because I think Aladdin has a lot of that. Like at the beginning when that thing comes out of like the diamond in the rough, the Frank Welker yeah, yeah. panther head. Like that's all. Th- th- they're, they're using the crap out of that caps technology by then you know and then love that caps you know, technology and all that and then with him and you know the so it, it, it ends up it ends up paying itself off in the long run pixar you know that that pixar has got a big future <laughs> um so sleepover stars or you uh, buckets of pizza the buckets of pizza I, uh, I don't know what do we do out of five you, you do yeah you had five buckets i guess, I, guess I, I don't know three yeah like I said, I don't have the like the nostalgic connection for this particular movie, the way you do, but uh, you know it's a Disney movie during a great period of Disney animation. So like, how bad can it be? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, for me, I would probably give like five, probably just because of how for me visually, but then the, then the the memories of well, isn't it being sure. a sleepover movie? Yeah. So and then as well as it holding up. You know, with with the with the the song and dance and all yeah. that kind of thing, and this, still, the visual fest. Like, I still get a kick out of watching like Aladdin. I don't know for me that I don't know why, but I've just like even today, like I, I want if it's on. Oh yeah, if it's on like ABC Family. All or those. Some I, shit, mean, I'll I mean, watch it. the only ones I really the, the some of like the 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 Fox and the Hound or like you know the Rescuers. A lot of those movies, like The Sword and the Stone, those are the ones I won't really sit down and watch that I haven't seen all the way through. I mean, yeah. I saw. I, I, I know Robin Hood pretty well, but all those other movies we grew up with, yeah. you know, The Little Mermaid through, like, Lion King or Hunchback. Uh, Keep singing! Yeah. How I love! First I cut off the heads, and I pull out the bones! <laughs> oh, gee, we can keep going all night. <laughs> uh, you know... 
We can just keep going. Cuella DeVille. <laughs> Cuella DeVille. We just all. You get it all, ladies and gentlemen. You get it all. You know. Yeah, I'm like. We all saw you. They even do the, 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 the ones that are not allowed to sue now. <laughs> that wasn't, it's like Song of the South. Sadly, we'll never see Song of the South yeah, again yeah. because that's all about plantations. But we still get zippity doo dah <laughs> zippity. That's one of their catchiest yeah. their tunes, you know. That's when we should do like, you know, like do Song of the ones like, you know, the dark years of Disney. <laughs> You know, or with me, they in the three caballeros, they go to Bahia with uh Carmen Miranda, and it's like, You want to go to Bahia? Yeah, Carmen Miranda with the stuff on her head. So, oh well, it's coming out this weekend. Maybe you guys will go see it. The live, the live action one that's another thing I don't know if I approve of. Live action, the live action versions because it's like it's not even like the just I didn't see it, but it looked it looked to me that the Cinderella was just a, like a live version of the story yeah whereas this one looks like they're really it's got the songs and everything it looks like they're really playing up like this is just a live fucking version it's, it's basically the play it's the broadway play it's seen the broadway play they're taking it and making a movie out of it yeah they're doing yeah. it all like but the live broadway play was just a broadway play broadway version <laughs> of this yeah i saw the but i haven't seen that you because i said i don't know i think about that and you're like what have they been doing it since the, the 90s you know with the you you don't think about 101 yeah. dalmatians was like, the well, first you know one. what i didn't see those either <laughs> i didn't care for them because you know we were too old at that point i was working at toy store a uh, toy works a toy store so i was there were in yeah. rotation and i didn't care for those by the time like uh, you know hugh laurie's in that and glenn close it was okay i haven't seen any of them. yeah even i mean when, they're fun even when the jungle book came out it was like People were raving all year about that. And I haven't like, seen it. You know, it's, it's alive. And I was like, no, it's not. I mean, the kid's alive. The rest, it's just a cartoon. Yeah, it's, it's a CGI. cartoon just like the original one. Yeah. It's just computerized cartoon instead of a lot. Yeah. Well, I guess it's whatever your, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you fancy. Yeah, whatever you fancy. I saw the Huntsman. Make some money off of Or not the property. Huntsman. The Woodsman? The Huntsman. Oh, I guess I did see. The I Huntsman. saw that. I like that, that one. Is that Disney? Though? It's Snow White. Yeah. That was their live action version of Snow White. But was it Disney? Yeah. That was their, that was their version. They made a sequel, which I didn't see. I saw Maleficent, Maleficent which was the Sleeping Beauty, which they really try to make it. She's the 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 victim in it. That was okay. Uh, I feel like there was more. I saw Cinderella. That was all right. My favorite one so far, I think, was the the Huntsman. Was the first one they did, not the Woodsman. The Woodsman, the Huntsman. The the live action Snow White that I like is. The one with Shelley Duvall and from the from the HBO Fairy Tale Theater. No, the one with Sigourney Weaver. Oh, that's the fucked up one. Snow White, Tale of Terror. Yeah, yeah that's a real. That's one to do. If they, yeah, that's a, that's one to pull out of the stops. From the nineties, there yeah. was a horror movie based on it with Sigourney Weaver. Well, it's very easy. Queen. I remember they had that in the early eighties. It may have been that HBO Fairy Tale Theater that they did for with with Shelley Duvall, the narrator. But a lot of those, like they were doing, it's almost like the John Hurt. Jim Henson storytellers yeah, yeah. those are fucked up when they do them straight and I remember like some of those maybe it's the fairy tale theaters are like fucked up like Hansel and Gretel like a live action version with the witches Gretel. yeah he, she's gonna cook them and eat them and Not that's Hansel like fucked Gretel up witch hunters or witch killers witch hunt- <laughs> yeah. that was pretty good that one I like that one from a couple of years ago those are fun when they, then they do like a like it's like the uh, Lincoln vampire hunter you know yeah, or, yeah. and I just saw the other one pride and prejudice and zombies and it was okay uh, but they're fun. But sometimes, yeah, if you play these, because they're cautionary tales, like the fairy tales are oh, supposed yeah. to, like, I mean, you know, you want to see some Grimm, messed Brothers up Grimm's, ones. You know, look at the German ones; those are crazy. Yeah, Brothers Grimm and stuff. And there like, was a play off Broadway, but it's a, it's a traveling play called Shock Headed Peter, and it's kind of a Jesus. it's kind of a musical, weird avant garde show with a band called the Tiger Lilies. Kind of oh, yeah, sings the them. music. 
and it's very like you know broke uh but the, the it's a it's an amazing play but they're all taken from german uh fairy tale like cautionary tales and they're incredibly messed up i mean that i guess that was the idea of of like brothers Grimm doing they were having to do like it's almost like lessons for kids to know that you know you don't you don't leave the you don't go into the woods you don't do this you know well that's a whole other argument which i think we've even touched on at, at times this idea of kids being too sheltered and how like you need they need to be scared to be able you need to, to learn lessons kids. yeah like you need to kids need to be scared that's why fairy tales were kind of invented because they need to be scared of things or else they'll get out in the real world and not know how to deal with <laughs> well you're starting <laughs> to see that nowadays that. you're starting to see with a lot of young kids who they don't they're not taught right from wrong or everybody gets a trophy or whatever. so you're starting to see those problems or like less religion in you know in life so maybe if you believe in original or not you know the morality people don't know what's right or wrong or nor do they care yeah, yeah you know because if they think there's no entity above them judging them why should they care what they do their actions so it's 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 you know it's it's a really interesting you know world we're getting into where you know even like you know we, we just talked about before this cast like horror movies some movies don't scare people anymore because they don't believe in religion so it's like well why would that scare me yeah. if you don't believe in it so it's it's I wouldn't say it's uncharted territory, but you're starting to see the ramifications of not having, you know, not teaching kids that or yeah, yeah. scaring the shit out of your kid, like the helicopter parenting going awry. Yeah, like but like shielding them from things like potentially scary television or, you know, in the long run, you might be doing damage because it's damage. Part of, it's part, <laughs> you might be doing damage because wow. your kid will be screwed up. Look at him. <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> Because they don't learn how to be scared and deal with that fear, so that when they go out, get out in the real world and they're actually presented with things they need to be scared about, they don't know how to deal with the process. Yeah, they go crazy. But as we digress, but we digress, which is the name of the cast. So, uh, yeah, it's good. Good times had by all. Yeah, fun. If, good, if you check out the French Cocteau version, yeah, we have a bunch of. Check homework. out the collector. <laughs> check out the, check out the collector by John. I want to say his name is like uh, Follies. Fall sides the book and the collector is the uh, Terrence Stamp directed by the great William Wyler. It's like 67, 68. It's like, yeah, might even be early. It might even be earlier. 65, 66. It's that British time when they're like, uh, like the mods really good. Yeah, he's great. It's good. You have that. You have um, the uh, adventures of Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad from 1949. Uh, uh, That's really good with Bing Crosby and uh, Basil Rathbone. Uh, check out the documentary from 95 called Frank and Ollie <laughs> about okay, the animators. Are you writing this down? Write it down. Uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty from 2009, which talks about the Renaissance period. Uh, the book, uh, another book, Disney and the Art, Disney's Art and Animation from Mickey Mouse to Beauty and the Beast for, by Bob Thomas, 1991, not to be confused with Frank or Dave Thomas. Yes. That we've been talking to. A lot of Thomases in this in this. And cast. this will date the cast, but if whoever's out there who wants to support... Your friends over here at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. My book, Scored to Death, is nominated for a Rondo Award. And there's voting involved. So uh, Google Rondo Award. Go to the website. Look at the ballot. Vote for things. It's all horror and fantasy and stuff. And I think voting goes through mid-April. Okay. Maybe. and Maybe another month when it drops. So uh, I'm in category number 11, Book of the Year. Scored to Death. Please vote for it. Because, God damn it, I will share that award with Dion. And don't you think, out of all the references 
to Rondo Hatton. We should have a that- Rondo Hatton award. <laughs> We've probably mentioned Rondo Hatton on this show. More than anybody else. More, uh, maybe Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah, more than anybody except for maybe Gilbert Gottfried's We podcast. should get him on the cast to talk about Rondo and so Hatton. So if there's anybody that needs a little Rondo Hatton bust, I'll bring it to every episode. So we have he'll be looking on upon us as we record, and we'll touch it. It's like it's like going out on this Apollo theater stage and rubbing that that <laughs> that golden tree stump for <laughs> good luck. The little rub head, the, head a of Rondo Hatton, Rondo Hatton. Um, so please, if uh, if if you have a moment, go do what's go the online, number? Uh, Rondo, I think it might be like RondoAwards.com. No, but what's your what number is you? Number eleven. The category is number eleven. Book of the year. Yeah. Scored to death. And if there's any other categories that you can fit that movie sleepovers in, write us in. <laughs> there's, you can write in. <laughs> there there is like a multimedia. A uh, web thing that has some podcasts involved, and it says you can write in. So write Saturday movie sleepovers, but put Blake's book in. Score to death. Yes, please. So bro. we need a Rondo head. Yeah, and then if anybody this weekend goes and sees the live action Beauty and the Beast, uh, tale as old as time, let us know what you think. Yeah, yeah. E- uh, email us what you think about this cast, that cast. Uh, you know, and um, we're going to be back in two weeks with another oldie book goodie. It's going to probably end the winter season almost because it's the end of March. So we're going to have a, a fun little one that's actually turning, an, uh, I think it's an anniversary this year for it, too. Uh, we're doing a lot of anniversaries. A lot of anniversaries yeah, this yeah. year. And it's, it's, um, it's, a little, it's close to Blake's heart in a weird way because of uh, growing up and affiliation of what he used to do uh, for, for work. This is getting real. <laughs> Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> no, no. But it's going it's, it's to be a fun one. It's going to be the end of March. That's so going to be exciting. And then, we're, then it's opening up to a very exciting spring and summer. Oh, yeah. We're going to we be at a seat of our pants. This is the first time we've really we've plotted out far in advance. Yeah. yeah Subject to change. Yeah, yeah. But course. we got some fun plans for the summer. Yeah. And we're going to be breaking new ground. Some real oldies but goodies. Some, class, some sleepover classics. And we're going to continue you know, time to time. Uh post something on an off friday yeah do special stuff whenever guest overs movie lovers side casts whenever we can get it in and i also venture to say this might not be the last disney movie this year too we might have some other ones we're going to be doing you never you never you know never <laughs> you never know Dion. so uh we could sing us out but we've done enough singing for this one we could uh do the old cliff edwards where it's like will you wish upon a star Remember in the nineties, there was like they put out a Disney album where it was like hits, like singer, like big stars singing Disney songs. Of course, there was a cover album. And yeah, Billy Joel sang that on the album. Yeah, uh, I have that. Um, what the hell's the name of that called? Because Tom Waits is on there. Tom Waits does the version of it's pretty funny. He does um, the the Hi Ho Dwarfs March. Yeah, yeah. And his is real like industrial and yeah. like you know. And he says, "Well, <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's he turns it into a work song. It's off to work we go." And he says, "You know what? From my point of view, I don't think the dwarfs are particularly happy working in these mines every day." Yeah, so he's yeah, like, "I'm yeah. going to make it into a work song." So it's, it's pretty cool. And it, yeah, Billy Joel's on Billy there too. Billy Joel's with like a more standardy. I think there's even like an orchestral arrangement. There's a little bit of a Frank. What song is he do? Thing. I think he does When You Wish Upon a Star. When you wish, oh, okay, I see. The when yeah. you I forget what that, that's called. That's called like Disney something. That came out in like 89 or 90. Yeah. And we'll post a link. Yeah, we'll post a link to that. It's out of print now, but we'll post a link to it. Yeah, I'm sure you can still find yeah. it on that. I'm sure. Sold by somebody. Yeah, yeah. So it's for a thousand dollars. A gazillion dollars. So you can probably download it. So, But anyway, we'll see you in two weeks, and we hope you had a good time today. Later. <laughs> <laughs>